we haven't done cherry stuff. Yep. All right. Hi. Ha. Welcome to Cherry Stem, everybody. We have sound. And you are here on the Cherry Stem listening to us talk about things as we do. The... We have a new format where it's surprise, Richard, what we're going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the new format of I Prepare Stories and, and you listen to them. Sometimes you also prepare stories, but I've been taking on the load. Yeah. This big, heavy. Heavy load. Heavy, heavy, big Huge. load. Huge. Such a big load. So Cherry Stem, where we talk about <laughs> science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Not so much the latter. Um, under a sexy vibe, because cherries and, and sex and porn stars is who we are and what we do. And I'd really love to make this show into a actual legit podcast and... So we could drone on on Spotify and <laughs> <laughs> iTunes Play and Google Tunes and all the things. So those who are watching, uh, check out the screen because I got patreon.com slash Anna Cherry on it. And uh, we're 57% to the goal of actually turning this into a podcast and, and having twice monthly interviews. I have no idea how I'm going to pull that off, but thankfully I know a lot of people. <laughs> so. You know, do some sex worker interviews, and I already started this and had some saved up, but then I had a computer wipe, so I have to redo them all over again. But oh, some no. of those people we don't talk to anymore, so I'm really glad that <laughs> that I didn't release it. And it was kind of blowing sunshine if they asked to stream it too much, so I want to like, I don't know, I'm older, I'm wiser, I'm ready to do the podcast, talk about real issues of sex and stuff. Real issues. Real issues on the streets. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to try not to go over uh, the, the head of, of everyone too much. Um, that's, As we used to do. Right, that's why I prepare stories and surprise them, uh, surprise you with them. That way you don't surprise people with way too much information. <laughs> that way I don't make people drink from a fire hose. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, we talked about the big load. I take that okay, to spare right. everyone from yes. your fire hose. Yes. You're constantly taking the fire out. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we're 57% completed the goal, and that would be really cool if we reach that. Also, um, if you all do check out Patreon, um, do check out the Uncommon Loot tier, because, yes, I did change all of my tiers to uh, Borderlands Loot names. There's Bandit, which is the lowest, and then Uncommon, Rare, Epic Legendary, Iridium. Nice. I have an Iridium tier now. I'm so happy. <laughs> All right, so I would highly recommend checking out the Uncommon tier because those of you who follow Cherry Stem are Uncommon indeed. And you get to hang out with us after the show for an after party where we do more of this bullshit. And, you know, even less structured than this. So. Uh, oh, it's not actually showing. Ha, huh, there we go. Um, what was showing? The one that's underneath it. Oh, <laughs> it just hasn't updated. Uh, but yeah, for those of you who are watching, do check out the screen um, so I may entice you with descriptions of my reward tiers and other good Patreon stuff. So enough of all that. Um, I might save that for the middle or for the end in the future, but um, I made a new graphic, so I wanted to show it off. All right, let's get to the show. Okie doke. So first, it's something really simple, actually. It's not anything scary or big or, you know, what have you. <laughs> it's really not a big deal. Um, but it's a really fun deal because we have images 
from um, the North Pole of Mars. So yeah, let's look at them. Once oh, again, cool. visual stuff. Yeah, the North Pole, is that the one that has the water? Yes. Because I know there was, uh, they recently talked about uh, something going on with, uh, with water on Mars and like perhaps um, like even more indications of life. And I just don't, I just briefly ran into something like that and I don't remember what it was. I don't know, but the Mars Orbiter just sent back an incredible photo of the red planet's icy North Pole. So there's water and ice on Mars. That's cool. Yeah, well, there's signs of flowing water is uh, some of the interesting things. And I've been trying to figure out if that flowing water is happening now in the present day or like in small amounts, or is it all just ancient features um, that are left over? And, and there's some indications that there's... Um, there may be liquid water on Mars, is uh, some of the things that I, I've been running into. Well, the climate of Mars um, is uh, very similar to Earth in the sense that out of all the planets in the solar system, uh, the seasons of Mars most closely resemble the Earth's, even though the Martian year is about twice as long as the Earth's. Um, so the North Pole that they do have these pictures of uh, goes through many changes throughout the season. Uh, the region is covered in layers of ice uh, that experience subtle shifts but uh, then thick layers of water ice cover the region throughout the year. In the winter, uh, when the temperatures drop to extremes of negative 143 okay. Celsius, which is 225 Fahrenheit, carbon dioxide, uh, carbon dioxide uh, freeze and uh, precipitates out of the thin air, forming a layer of frozen carbon dioxide on top of water ice. Well, that'd be one way to get the uh, carbon dioxide out of our atmosphere. Just make it... Send it to Mars? Yes, yeah, send it to Mars. <laughs> exactly. And there it'll freeze. What were you going to say? And then it'll be easy to collect and send back to Earth. Wait a minute. <laughs> I was just saying, and it, we could just like lower the temperature of the Earth to 200 and something negative. It's not a problem, see? <laughs> I already got this problem solved. Yep. Easy peasy. Yeah, there's this cool, there cool camera called the High Resolution Stereo Camera. HRSC that is on the Mars orbiter and uh, the thing is that carbon dioxide um, can form clouds and that conceals the ground below uh, from orbital view but it's a really badass camera so it's like I don't give a fuck I'm gonna take these pictures that's how the camera do that's how the camera do <laughs> the HRSC is a powerful full-color camera that is imaging the entirety of the Martian surface Overall, it's captured images. Uh, it captures images at about 10 meter resolution. Nice. So that's some fun printable resolution. <laughs> 10 meter. So is that like a <laughs> pixel though? <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> How what big is this mean? camera? What does a 10 meter resolution mean? Within the HRC, there's another channel called the Super Resolution Camera, SRC. They can capture images at even greater resolution of 2.3 meters slash pixel of 2.3 kilometers squared. So 2.3 2 meters, meters of pixel. Per pixel. Per pixel. Uh, that's just yeah. one pixel. Yeah, oh one God. pixel is... So, so you can Well, okay. Yeah. Oh, so six feet is a single single pixel? That means you can't, like... Um, I mean, the stuff, like, from Google Earth, you can make out, like vehicles tires and shit from the satellite photos why the fuck uh, don't they have resolution that good that doesn't make any sense because if six feet you know 
ish is a uh, is a fucking single pixel. That's trash. Well, maybe they can't go in that deep. They can't go in that deep. Yeah. Maybe I don't they, know. They, no. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there's the the Coriolis, Coriolis, Coriolis. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? Tell us about. It. Uh, it's basically it's the reason why um uh, hurricanes happen. No, <laughs> the reason why hurricanes spin opposite directions depending on the um, whether they're in the north uh, hemisphere or the southern hemisphere, it basically has to do with the the way in which the rotational effect of the Earth uh, changes the general rotation of the atmosphere. So uh, there's the you know no, think of it as like the um, uh, there's kind of a, a drag of the the Earth uh, on you know like the surface of the Earth on the atmosphere that's on top of it, and so there's a um, um, you kind of on one. Uh, it's too hard for me to, to explain the uh, Coriolis force, but it, it's basically it, it ends up it. with where you've got um, uh, the rotation of the atmosphere uh, influenced by the rotation of the Earth. But of course, it's different in the North or South Poles because um, there's a kind of a center point around the equator that is uh, is going to be different for as it as you move further and further towards uh, each pole because like if you think it, if the, the Earth is rotating one direction then you look at the the North Pole it's going to look like it's rotating one direction and then you look at the South Pole then it's going to look like it's rotating the opposite so like let's see. Rises in the east and sets in the west means that the the Earth from the top um, is spinning counterclockwise. So then, uh, if you look at the Earth from the bottom, that means the pole is spinning clockwise. And so it's just the uh, looking at it. There's a there's a transition from the equator up to one and down to the other, where you have two different types of rotation. And so those two different types of rotation end up changing the, the the rotation of all of the atmosphere in between from the equator to the pole so that's basically kind of what uh, is, we're usually talking about whenever but there's a, there's other things that, that you know are also there but that's just the general subject matter of uh, the atmospheres atmospheric effects of uh, Coriolis force because I was gonna ask why do we care but apparently it has to do with the way it affects all the other atmosphere stuff on Earth, the Coriolis force is evident in the formation of hurricanes and other weather phenomena. Yes, it is. In this image of Mars, uh, there are a few streaks of clouds on the left of the frame that are more likely caused by small local storms that are kicking up the dust into the atmosphere, contributing to the erosion of the scarps. Never seen that word before. And slopes and changing the surface appearance and topography. The overall purpose of the HRSC on the Mars Express is to study Mars surface process over time, including winds and storms and the seasonal changes at the poles. So that's what they're looking at. Makes sense. This is really cool looking. Um, craters and um, during its uh, during its time, uh, the the I mean. Uh, the spacecraft. Um, the Mars Express spacecraft has been orbiting Mars since 2003. Long time, well. 
in that time, it's imagine the entire surface. Uh, it's image. It's image. <laughs> so we got we got satellites out there just imagining, imagining. surfaces and sending sending those pictures back of what it imagined. Yep. Uh, that's science right there. I mean, how do you know it's not what's happening? <laughs> to be honest. To be honest. <laughs> we don't know. There's no human out there. <laughs> to tell us. In that time, it's imaged the entire surface of Mars at 10 meters a pixel with the HRC and select areas at 2 meters a pixel with SRC. During its time, it's expanded our understanding of how wet and humid ancient Mars was. It's probed the planet's subsurface processes and structures and, of course, given us some great views of the planet's huge volcanoes and craters. Ta-da! It's a crater! And that's for that story. Cool. Um, so, all right. I guess we're going to save the phys crisis in physics for last. <laughs> save the best for last. Uh, oh. Okay. Unfortunately, it's a Guardian article, which I'm not too thrilled about, but we have giant shape-shifting stars. Spotted near the Milky Way black hole. Okay. Objects raise hope of scientists managing to track blobs being swallowed by black holes. Blobs? Blobs, but probably blobs, yes. No, and I mean, I'm, just, I'm just wondering. Yeah, exactly. Alice and Bob. Uh, what are they? A number of bizarre shape-shifting objects have been discovered close to the supermassive black hole at the center of the Milky Way. Okay. The blobs that are thought to be giant stars that spend part of their orbit so close to the black hole that they get stretched out like bubblegum before returning to a compact, roughly spherical form. These objects look like gas and behave like stars, said Andrea Ghez, a professor of astrophysics at the UCLA and co-author of this paper that we're talking about. Um, these observations raise the prospect of being able to track one of the objects as they drift across the point of no return and vanish over the black hole's event horizon into oblivion. Well, why don't they think it's part of the lensing? Because lensing does that shit. Like, if you go across certain parts of uh, a lens, and, it, and you know, there's no there's no reason to think that the gravitational uh, field of, of the supermassive black hole is a perfectly uniform lens. So even if the even if it's circling, if you expect a perfect uniformity in their uh, their shape, that would be ridiculous. So it would make sense that as it's moving through different areas of the lensing effect, that it would be spread out and come back together. And that seems a lot more plausible than the than a star uh, being spread way the hell out and coming back together and still behaving like a star. Well. The way they're talking about it is that the first of these unusual objects, which they named G1, the first time they saw it, uh, showed up on astronomical surveys uh, way back in 2005. Okay. And they didn't see one and didn't care about it because they hadn't seen one until 2012, where they saw another one very similar was spotted by German astronomers, and they called it G2. Okay. So it was this sort of like somewhat rare event. Um, so quote from one of the, from the same guy, co-author from UCLA, uh, guess, uh, we had seen it before, but it didn't look too peculiar until it got close to the black hole and became elongated and much of its gas was torn apart. 
It went from being a pretty innocuous object when it was far from the black hole to one that was really stretched out and distorted at its closest approach and lost its outer shell and now is getting more compact again. So Gez and her research team believe that G2 is probably the product of a merger of two stars that have been orbiting the black hole in tandem before morphing into an extremely large star cloaked in unusually thick gas and dust. That's a whole lot of... Unlikely, oh, assumptions. Yeah. My God, astrophysicists are like the most presumptuous. Which they I just mean, whatever the first thing that occurs to them, they just start calculating based on. But like on you that. said, there are no people out there, so My you don't know. God. You just yeah, just but the level of presumption. I feel like physicists they, are more presumptuous than astrophysicists because at least in physics no, you can no, you a, can measure that shit way better than you can. Astrophysicists with space. and cosmologists are are very closely uh, linked, and so those people are like twelve point three eight picoseconds after the Big Bang. There were this many, no. As many no, stars in these stop. positions. Just fucking stop. Jesus Christ. Talk about playing God. <laughs> I know exactly. They, they really go through the, yes. the perfect conditions that. The exact amount of dark energy and dark matter that were present were completely different than the. Oh, oh my God. Please just stop. So G2, um, thing that we're talking about here, is in an eccentric orbit around the Milky Way's black hole Sagittarius A, which has a mass equivalent of more than 4 million suns. When it reaches its closest approach, uh, when it reached its closest approach in 2014, observations revealed its outer shell being stripped off and swept down the cosmic sinkhole. Um, another co-author from UCLA, uh, Mark Morris, professor of physics and astronomy, said that, uh, quote, when that happens, it might be able to produce an impressive fireworks show since the material eaten by the black hole will heat up and emit copious radiation before it disappears across the event horizon. See, basically, they don't have anything like medicine, you know, where, and what I mean is that in the field of medicine, there, you have these people who are counter-arguing with each other, and there are there are agencies that are set up to make sure that you're not going to fucking kill somebody with some crazy off-the-wall theory that you just presume is correct and keep making medicines based on it. And then there's the testing of the medicines, whereas we just have none of those fucking controls in cosmology and astrophysics. There's just... There's, there's no gatekeeper. There's just a, a group of people who are all like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, and you're popular and powerful in this field, so of course I'm going to agree with you. you know, it's like, And then it just continues on from there. There's just not, there's not anywhere near the amount of skepticism and alternative theory. There's, you know, in, in, in things like medicine and, and biology, you've got competing theories, at least. You've got people who are competing and it's just, there's just no, I, don't, I just don't think there's any competition whatsoever, really. It, it, on occasions, there's basically just the in, the in-group and the out-group in, in, uh, in anything having to do with physics and, and uh, astronomy. And that, that's just it. There's just people who are part of the mainstream or aren't. And, uh, and it, there's not, it's just, there's just something missing that allows them to just go on just amazing flights of fancy without any... Uh, you know, real counter-arguing without any any real, these are the confounding factors, these are the uh, alternatives, these are the, you know, they don't have any of that present. There's just, we've discovered new blobs that, that stretch into, you know, crazy shapes and then go right back to being the same. And, and that's a new discovery. And, yep, that's it. Nothing, nothing to see here. Moving right along. It's like, no, no, there's lots of other possibilities that, that should be, like, at least discussed or you know in some way or another 
said this is why we didn't think it was that. I mean, and you just really don't see that a whole lot, which you would think that you would. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like that's kind of been the whole crisis, really, the true crisis in physics. <laughs> that's why there's a crisis in physics, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. The, the, that's mean. You mean that's the underlying mechanics that is causal in the current crisis in physics, right? Yeah. The, I almost uh, foreshadowed the the playing God thing because there's this element of like science, which was a surprise to me was that it came from, like. The, the church and like the clergy not necessarily the clergymen of the church but there were a lot of like people of the church and uh church funded science projects yeah. that like there's a there's a historian i just was reading an article by uh about there's a historian from uh harvard his last name is marin i think uh who wrote a uh a recent book or at least uh, a can you just can i just finish this up this is this is relevant well just why am i talking about science and church and it's like that the scientists decided to replace the church mm -hmm. with because modern now, now we're like we don't need a religious description of things we need a scientific description and that science is very much uh, uh, based in, in the beliefs and ideas of people who are extraordinarily religious and that's part of one of the things that, that this historian from Harvard uh, is pointing out that you you, you can't understand the uh, where quantum physics came from without understanding exactly how much mysticism and, and religion was part of those science and all the various people, how they were fighting over mystical ideas and religious ideas uh, that were that were the basis for these uh, physics theories. We think it, it was all a bunch of rational, mathematical, and that's just bullshit. It's not. They're, they're the metaphysics of it, the, the description, the, the motivation, the, the way that you put the math together and how you would interpret the evidence was extremely based in, in mysticism and in, um, in religion and, uh, and fights between those various aspects of superstition, too. So, you, you know, it's just uh, people don't realize how much of science. I mean, uh, uh, Newton was an alchemist, and people now talk about, like, that's just, a, like, a, a bad thing. And, uh, well, alchemy But all of that was, seems to be a completely stripped from our, like, talk about species yes. with amnesia, like, in so many ways, even recently. Yeah, we constantly pretend that science is this pure thing, and mathematics is this pure thing, and it's just absurd. It's absolutely fucking absurd. How you apply the math is is completely guided by your worldview and so pretending that math by itself can prove anything is 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 fucking nonsense and that's been the past half century's belief system that's kind of become this this immutable uh it, it's become the way that we've created zealots for science mm -hmm. and zealots for science what i mean is people who believe in science superstitiously mm -hmm. it's not because it, it, people don't understand it's not because understand. it makes sense to them it's because that is the new authority truth right it is because it is authority it is because they are they are representing the knowledge system of the authority and then having that group back them up is it is a a way of it's the it's the sycophant um drive of humanity that that uh, uh, makes them be this you know zealotous as well as not just sycophantism but also that really is you know the whole group truth that's how you check yourself you know that your own ideas since you can't have every experience in the universe you have to rely on other people's ideas to a certain extent and the way that we do that is through authority systems and so that has been done in the past and that was religion and now we added some 
some rules and shit to that system and called it science. But the truth of the matter is it still has an enormous human element in it. And part of why science was successful is because we used to really, really look closely at the human element. And mm -hmm. now that's we pretend that there isn't one. It's math. There's no human element in math. Bullshit. I was going to say that it really seems like a meta... Um... A metaphor for oh, when you frequently try to describe to because it all comes down to education so when you frequently try to describe to, to some people who don't get it that it's like you can't just have a wave without a medium doing the waving that's kind of like that's a meta metaphor for math where it's like you can't just have math by itself it's describing something it, it's it is interpreting exactly. something there is a there is a relationship between the numbers that which is represented and the representer and, and in the middle is, a, is the human element right <laughs> and we we are the ones deciding what represents what in those numbers it is not just something there's not pure twoof you know in math and that and that's that's such a huge problem and so that is how we've gotten to this place where you have this uh on this 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 problem of shut up and calculate is what the, is what uh, David Merman called it. Uh, is it. Is it David? Is his first name? For some reason, it sounds right. But uh, but uh, he's he's the one who came up with the the whole. He was kind of, he was ridiculing the shut up and calculate uh, parts of um, quantum physics. So uh, the the point that that actually came from an earlier uh, point in physics, though, where we started. Uh, believing in a uh, in, in ideas that were not that no longer had analogies okay so like for instance how is it that you know that you can actually rely on the um, the equipment that's out there in space no human being so no human being has actually viewed the surface of Mars right and it's just some oh the first thing we just watched that somebody could just made that up I have no idea yeah exactly well, how do you know? A machine could have literally imagined that. Right. It could but, be, so how know. do most people then uh, get rid of that fear or idea? Well, or they that, look that, to see if the, the institution is accredited, if other people have agreed that it is reliable. And most importantly, it is the confluence of various similar uh, techn technologies and things like that, seeing that pictures do certain things many different uh, devices which have made pictures actually do uh, represent what they picture properly and so it's like how do you know that you could you, you could depend on the tool and actually think of that as a real you know observation mm -hmm. of that planet because because you know at what point do you know for sure that your tool is accurately picking up what you think it's picking up because mm -hmm. and this is a real question in science because when nobody's ever viewed uh you know an atom that was we see right. we see pictures we see representations that are that are brought together through all these various processes mm -hmm. that we believe accurately are representing what is there but that's not necessarily true as you get deeper and deeper and deeper into viewing the smallest components of uh subatomic material especially so you know the, there is this we we kind of extend from okay if i completely rely on this device then i can completely rely on this next device mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily true because there there is theory in the way that the devices work and, it, and if the theory is 
not exactly matching the way that you continue to develop the device, then they can deviate. So the theory and the device can can start to deviate in your in, in your designs. And so these, there's these little bifurcation points that happen in the designs of technology. Like for instance, in optics, uh, there are all there, people who do advanced optics don't actually use all the same um, theoretical physics that many other physicists do. In other words, there's actually little deviations when it, when it comes to technology design, you find that there are all these little subfields. It's like, oh, well, we use this. And then uh, this other subfield, oh, well, we typically use this. And it's actually these little subfields. And we pretend like there's this one monolithic, everybody believes exactly the same thing. And that's just not true. Uh, and and it's because of these these small deviations between you know the theory that you use to advance a technology and the, and other theories that those can start to they can start to fray at the edges I guess is the, uh, the 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 best way to put it but the the most important part here is just to understand we've got this culture of of not understanding that the map is not the territory the map is the map and when and there can be a the map is a drawing of the territory. Right, exactly. It is, there, is a, there can be a disconnect between the representational language and what you are attempting to represent. And, and that representational language in math can be perfectly, perfectly self-consistent. And that perfection of its self-consistency can fool, can fool you. And that's called numerology. Hmm. Numerology is where people is using see math. It, is using math <laughs> in a way where they just they think it's representing something right. in reality, and they see that it comes out in these these ways that happen repeatedly, that and they, they obsess yeah. over the symmetry and the repeat, and, and the repetition and the internal consistency of the math, and do not understand that it is their problem is that they're attempting to connect it to things that it is not connected to. They, they have that problem of the map and the ter territory, but they think that the map and the territory are one thing. That is a superstitious belief system around math. And then that actually exists in modern physics. There is the same worship of the, the numbers and their symmetries. And it started with Dirac. He started talking about how it doesn't matter if your math doesn't fit the experiment. Just focus on making beautiful math. And there's right. lots and lots of, of uh, quotes from Dirac where he was talking about this, this numerology version of mathematics. Now, you know, modern mathematics is way more complex than, uh, than older types of numerology. Mm -hmm. But it has that same appeal. But it's at another layer where you can't, like when you're looking at magic squares and, you know, things like that, you can kind of pretty quickly and easily see, oh, yeah, well, that's, of course, it's, it, it lines up in this one way. So what? Who cares? But when you have math go down these long lines of computation and come back around to the, to, and to point at the same point where you have this symmetry and it's like, whoa, and then you have this wow moment because it's so far away mm -hmm. in your, in your thought process from where you started that you when you come back it's like wow that is so awesome but it's a property of the mechanical nature of the math it's a machine like it's gears. a gear system exactly yeah. it's like a system of gears that it has it's to come completely predictable because it is like a machine it and is so, a machine and so we can an equation is a machine absolutely blown away and have that spiritual superstitious kind of feel about more modern maths and not realize it's just uh, the new well, version the of design numerology. Of this yeah, it's exactly. It's a new type of numerology, and people don't recognize that. And so, be, because 
our uh, advanced maths have been used to accurately uh, model real things and, uh, and, and we're very close, it's hard to notice when it starts to deviate, when our, our ideas start deviating from properly representing reality and that started really happening with Dirac where he was like he doesn't he didn't give a shit that it doesn't uh necessarily have any kind of uh metaphysics that make any sense and, and the truth of the matter is you can continue to put together pieces of technology you do do not understand to make something work a great example of this is when I first uh, before I did the first line of programming before I had any training in programming whatsoever I went into a uh, a, a, um, a modded version of Quake uh, which is uh, the old 3D game and I, and I went in and I, I altered some of the the shit that was in C code at the time which I did not know at all <laughs> yeah. not, I didn't I didn't know the slightest fucking thing I just could look at the symbols and the names and things like that and futz with it and then, and then I don't know how the fuck I got it to compile, but I got it to compile, compile, and it worked. And that's the thing is, you can take pieces you do not understand and we put them this together all the time. in just a novel look, way. Just like well, or also just like a children with a like literally a toddler with a smartphone. Yeah, like they're navigating that crazy shit that like senior citizens can't figure out who have way more life experience. So right. you don't need intelligence to be able to put things together. So that's and what make happens is people that as the as the theory becomes disconnected from the mathematics but you can continue to take mathematics that worked rearrange them and and, and it be completely based on some crazed bullshit idea that you rearrange them because you just keep rearranging them until they fit together and actually do work and it's just the same thing like when i when i was compiling that program i'm sure i probably failed a few times I rearranged shit until it compiled, right, right. and that's a that's a lot like developing new mathematics it's in physics. Like when your theory about what it is that you're doing and what it represents is completely fucking wrong, and so you can continue based on from older mathematics that were strongly there was a strong representation between them, mm -hmm. and end up at a point at which your theory about what you think you're doing with the math and what it's actually doing are completely fucking different. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's that's part of what people don't really understand about having this superstitious uh, ideal around science and a superstitious ideal around uh, mathematical physics, especially. And that's why that's one of the reasons why uh, I find it so important to call out this this enormous problem because it is what's responsible. We have lots of math that does work very very well. But we're just we just can't extend it anymore because we no longer understand what it is that it's representing, and so there's and that started really really happening right around quantum physics. I mean, it got really bad. It started it started in, in um, actually in 1905, truthfully, because uh, Einstein was extending Lorentz's uh, theory and uh, well, he was using Lorentz's kinematics to uh, have his own electrodynamics. And so he just was taking it carte blanche that it was the truth, kind mm -hmm. of, you know, taking that as, as one of his starting axioms. And what Einstein was actually adding was the electrodynamic part based on Lorentz's kinematics. So, but the thing is, he didn't understand what the math of Lorentz's kinematics was representing, which right. was an optical illusion. Lorentz was representing with the, the math illusion, right? an optical illusion okay and so because he did not understand what the math represented he took 
took math that really did work and represent reality because right. that's what Lorentz did is he created math that really worked and really represented reality but then he took that and and eliminated the 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 representational part, the tie between the map and the territory. What is it that made us understand the, the map and the territory the relationship? And he broke it because he didn't care about that part. He even said at the beginning, it was like, you don't even have to, basically when he was saying there was, he didn't say there is no ether in, so in his 1905 paper. He said you didn't need to consider it, which right. is why in 1920 he specifically said you absolutely need a fucking ether. Uh, space without ether is unthinkable, is the quote right. from his Leighton address. But, um, so, so this, this, that was one of the first time in which we started basically running into physics uh, theories where they were starting to break apart accidentally the, uh, the theory from the, the mathematics. And so your representational language was losing connection. And so that, that's, that's just been, that is, that is the problem with modern theoretical physics is this break of connection. That's why we have, and that's why we've arrived at this dead end. And so you were going to talk about the, the dead end. So you want to um, yeah, yeah. go over that article. Um, I will. Because uh, we're pretty much done with the, the shape shifting. This is so the, the bottom line of, the, of the, the stars is sort of kind of we don't really think they no. know what they're talking well, about. And there was a, a point I wanted to get, get at that I kind yeah, of yeah. may have been derailed a little bit from. And that, that was basically, so, so the question is, how is it that you know that, that uh, a camera is actually... In space, yeah. In space, it, you, you know because of the crossover of mm -hmm. lots of different um, uses of it. And that's kind of what we do with our... Before the internet, before, before we started using authority again so strongly with the internet, which is what we started doing, uh, the, one of the things that people had to do pre-internet, pre-internet minds had to take information that, was, that came in and use a combination of authority sources, which they, you know, didn't, didn't necessarily have access to the library very well or, uh, you know, and the time required to look things up at the library. So you used a combination of knowing how various things work from different angles, you know, and saying, okay, I know this works here and this works here and this works here. And so there's an analogy between these things that makes them, makes them all lead to the same thing that this w it is within the realm of possibility and, the, and usually that was based on some sort of mechanical you know um uh understanding of the world around you and so that's kind of the reason why you don't even suspect that that what the uh, what the cameras who are showing this this uh you know landscape on mars you don't even suspect that it's just some dream that's nonsense mm -hmm. because you know there are cameras that work on basic specific principles and you've seen enough different versions different cameras doing the same thing and so that's why you have to have replications of experiments because you need to see a lot of people do the same thing in a different way and come to the same uh effects and conclusions to be able to know that what they're doing isn't some huge disconnect between their you know what they're saying they're doing and and uh and what's actually happening so that, that at least it's replicable and now I again have to repeat you can you can have a superstitious idea of what you're looking at and still repeat the same circumstances just like that that what I always bring up with the beating the root uh, uh, you know that the spirit of the fishing tree into the water does make the fish rise to the surface and the fact that you believe it's a spirit instead of a neurotoxin is has no impact on the fact that you can replicate your your procedures through your you know 
through your story, whatever bullshit story you may have about reality, if you replicate the same set of procedures on reality, even with your crazed idea about it, the, you'll, you'll end up getting the same results. And so there is, even there, there's a, there is no way to know if your model is correct. You at least can know if certain steps lead to certain things. So that's why we have these, these various systems that we used uh, pre-internet to come to the same kinds of uh, conclusions. Hey, so where, where did you want me to, st I can start reading this article. Um, oh, okay. Well, because uh, yeah. I, I was about to kind of, you started leaving just as I was coming to an end I know, of what I was like, saying. I'm like, I've got less than half a sentence and you're running away. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you, uh, that was, uh, we weren't quite done with the black hole thing. Okay. Go ahead. And, and you already want to go to the next one. Oh, well, well you want to uh, finish the black hole thing? Finish yeah, the black there's hole just thing. like just two sentences. And if we could have just waited for two sentences before going on this tangent, yeah, well, that might have been a better there. segue. But because um, I I have no faith in ability to hold any context of anyone who listens to us. Okay, yeah. In fact, true. I probably find it they they probably find it extremely anxiogenic to not understand what we're talking about within the first thirty seconds of. We never tell them what we're telling them. Okay. We only tell them and then tell them what we told them, but we never tell them what we're going to tell them. Like, I have no idea why we start doing, talking about anything. But, okay. I, I, but I also hate to cut off any kind of, like, you know, tangents. Mm. So, anyways. So, yeah, hopefully you guys, you know what, you know what, there are viewers out there somewhere. Somewhere. Who, somewhere who can follow the whole thing and who understand and... Can have no, a, our viewers are the very best viewers. What are you talking about? I sure. think they get it. It's sure. a, Even if they don't get it, they're still happy to hang out with us and, right. and have it go over their heads a lot. <laughs> well, I think that sometimes sometimes that's why I like to read things is because I mean you know I, I go back over it a number of times and mm. so uh, I, you know hey kudos to them if they can follow something uh, that's verbal alone because mm -hmm. uh, I can't I've got to read it uh, and and I'll, and every time there's a problem I go back and read it and, uh, again that's why I only really communicate uh, via text instead of uh, verbal communication. But we go to we listen to like TED, <coughs> TED talks and stuff. So. On occasion because that's like very very. Um, That's what this is supposed to be. keep it pretty good. No, it's not. I've done. I didn't. I didn't make slides. I didn't. You know, it's like yeah, uh, somebody does it. Does it when I do a talk? I do slides and I prepare before. Well, point is, we do listen to talks and get information. And, and here's the thing: you, you from say, something okay. like a podcast, you can get information. Okay, so supposedly, you, so you supposedly you're supposed to tell them what you're going to tell them, tell yeah. them, and then tell them what you told them, right? Okay. Right. Yes. Well, the problem with that is if you say anything controversial. And you tell them that what you're going to tell them. That's that is the synopsis. That is that is basically saying beforehand. You set up a person, and when you tell somebody something in short form without right. a good explanation, something that is unbelievable, they are then primed to disbelieve everything you say from that point forward. That's why you don't start with <laughs> telling what you're going to tell them if you're talking about something controversial. You first tell them. Well, don't and tell then them this controversial. Just exactly, and then you tell them what you told them, and and, and then they go, oh. Okay, and that's the only way you can you can bypass the the uh, the, the bias filter that, that is automatically set up by by saying something that is unfamiliar to a person uh, in a uh, in a very short form, which 
allows them to to exhibit extreme doubt because anything expressed in short form does not have enough uh, supporting information in their head. And I can usually expect that people will not have enough supporting information. So therefore, that's why I skip that part a lot of times. So excuse me. There's this interesting um, relationship, too, between people that are more scientific-minded who actually cannot necessarily follow context of things that are in their mind too different or don't relate mm-hmm. uh, versus people that are more uh, liberal arts and, you know, uh, compassionate, compassion studies, whatever it is. <laughs> I'm one of those people, <laughs> the humanities. Um, and, and so then you have those people that are able to... Um, they may not necessarily get the super scientific stuff, but they can at least understand the greater idea that you're uh, representing. Because yeah. we're, we're talking both at the same time about science as well as Humanity, sociology. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, philosophy. the sociology of science is is extremely important. That's what you know. The, yeah, that is kind of that is the difficulty here is that I'm talking about science and sociology mm-hmm. and and those are two different kinds of, of things because like yeah the, the the scientist in me whenever I'm uh, de- looking at something new I know I go wait a minute what is that what do they mean by this sentence and I actually do break it down in those tiny parts sometimes not waiting for a big longer context mm-hmm. to explain what that sentence was mm-hmm. I instead want to verify if what they've said at the yeah, smaller level is correct yeah. And the problem with that is that sometimes you will not yet have the information to verify that small piece. That happens piece. to me a lot. <laughs> you, uh, and so you have, to, you have to have the patience to get right. all of the other pieces before you can even begin to verify that one piece. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem is a lot of times whenever you hear something that you don't uh, currently know or at least have information that feels like it would be count- counter to that, you immediately tend to Give hang on, on that when you are a more scientific mind. Oh, you, will hang, you, you will hang at that point. And if you're and a less go, scientific minute, mind, that sounds like bullshit. And if you are a less scientific mind, you'll give up on it and be like, no, what are you talking about? Tell me what what, what is happening. <laughs> well, then a lot of times there there is a patience to hear a bigger picture right. uh, that to, that will allow. That's what I meant by like the gender studies or the humanities or whatever. Because That there will are, allow the verification of the smaller parts. Right. We have <laughs> the two types of viewers as well. We have the more scientific viewers and we have the more liberal viewers or liberal arts uh study majors <laughs> and then because we do talk about this confluence of science and humanity mm-hmm. and so both we both project the two views and we have an audience that has those two views so there's a whole lot of pundit squares of <laughs> so let me add another layer la- layer of meta uh-huh. so now I, this is a very meta conversation but, and and by talking we were talking about uh, what we were talking about yeah. <laughs> and now we're That's talking about that okay so, <laughs> <laughs> so we just got to the third layer of meta okay i just had to do that because it was fun okay <laughs> are we not going to talk about anything what the the self-referential um what are you talking about? Because we, I was just talking about the the that we were we were okay. Let's back up a couple layers. We were talking about our show and how we present. Uh, right. So we broke down one. So wall. that was the second right. layer, right? right? And then I said this conversation is meta. So I was talking about us talking about ourselves, and so therefore that Double got to meta. the third layer, right? So that, that's that's all. It was just it's meta squared. Right. Meta cubed. It's the Metatron. Okay, sorry. We had, to, we had to have a moment of comedy. Break the yes. Break. yes, we did. No, it's true. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the, the thing where, like, we basically last we left off, because I was going to wrap up this uh, article. Last we left our heroes. 
Yes. <laughs> I was going to wrap up the article of being just like, yeah, well, they seem like they're full of shit. But, uh, well, because, you know, as we're saying, there's no people out there in space. My, my argument is that they're, they're just trying to come up with a theory as best as they can based on their observations. And so what I wanted to add is that they did have more observations um, of the same type of stuff because they, um, when they were seeing this, one of the co-authors said that, uh, well, you know, when they saw the, the shape approach, the... Uh, event horizon. Right, the event horizon. I wasn't sure if that was a real term or like a sci-fi no, term. No, event horizon is a real term. <laughs> so I have too much SG-1 to <laughs> wait. Um, so when that happens, it might be able to produce an impressive fireworks show. Oh yeah, we're, I already read that. Um, so, okay, so at the time, G2, that was the, the 2015, 14, whatever one. At the time, uh, 2012, whatever it was. At the time, G2 was thought to be simply a large, diffuse cloud of gas. But astronomers were surprised to find that the object survived its close encounter with the black hole, suggesting that it must have a dense star-like interior. Yeah, that's, see, that's such a that's bullshit why they assumption. Have, that's why they have all those assumptions. And uh, latest findings, latest findings based on 13 years of observations by the WM Keck Observatory in Hawaii, uh, reveals a further four objects in similar orbits, all of which are within a few light months of the Milky Way central black hole. Okay, so that's such a bullshit right. assumption. So they've because seen it of the a few times, that, and it, it distorts yeah, and, and we know, it comes we've back seen together. A lot, a lot of times, whenever they, they used to call it like Einsteinian lensing, or uh, it's when, when gravitational lensing occurs, you can have an object that looks like it's split across, uh, it, it splits, goes over the top and the bottom, and comes back together on the other side of the object. And that can look like a, an event horizon when it's simply just uh, the way that optics work. They, it basically kind of turns the image inside out. There's a point at which they, that, like I said, a, a, a single object or galaxy or star or whatever, when it passes uh when the light passes through this the, an area of gravitational lensing can literally make it look like it's been split in the, in half and comes comes back together on the other side so what makes them i don't understand how they're not saying see if they at least said something about the gravitational lensing effect here i i, I could you know i could be okay with some level of maybe what they're saying has some validity to it but it's just why they're not even addressing it and that's and why i'm you know right now i am assuming that they they, they have not looked into that because you a lot of people would automatically assume well they're professionals of course they have looked well into they it. might have but what i found is a lot of times they don't i used to think that too i used to think they're professionals of course they would have looked into right. this and they would have uh, accounted for that fuck no fuck they no they didn't and the same thing is true like for instance of the uh you know the uh gravitational redshift okay so the entire the entire rest of the universe is redshifted in an amount that is directly proportional to the distance from us so in other words, no matter how, uh, however far you get from us, and this is going to be a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about, uh, and however far you get from us in, 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 the, in when you look at, out into the universe, whether it be stars and then further on to galaxies, etc., each of those objects, and, and usually we're talking about galaxies because mm -hmm. yeah, that's where it shows the most, then uh, there is, it is, it seems to be moving away from us at a faster rate because it is redshifted so there's galactic uh not galactic uh uh intergalactic i guess but there's yeah. there's redshift of all objects and that redshift is not very different from one object uh to the next like there's not a bunch of objects moving towards us and a bunch of objects moving away from us and no according to our observations 
the, uh, the speed at which an object is moving away from us is directly proportional to how far it is from us. So each object as it is further away from us looks like it's moving faster away from us if you believe that the redshift is caused by motion. Because redshift a lot of times is caused by motion. However, one of the first things I, I, I uh, looked at was the, the, with this is like, well, hold on a minute. Light can be redshifted by interaction with various, you know, substances. Right. Now, gases there's, and such. Right, with gases. Well, okay, well, the, the reason why it's not uh, interaction with gases causing it is because that changes um, at different frequencies of light uh, as it moves the the... the the shifting effect will be different. So, in other words, that's where you get the um, a, a more orange light, for instance, from the sun as it uh, as it gets near the horizon, or a more reddish light. But the uh, but it is it is not this direct uh, moving of the entire spectrum redshifted when it's going through dust and through gases. It is uh, various different frequencies are shifted by different amounts. Okay, great. So that's why it's not specifically dust and gas. However, there's something called the Compton effect, where uh, upon interaction with plasma, the entirety of the spectrum is shifted, shifted equally, just like Doppler shift, right. which is what th theoretically is happening, why we believe that the rest of the galaxy is moving away from us faster and faster and faster, depending on its distance, linearly dependent upon its distance from us. And just the, the fact that it is directly proportional to the distance from us is what makes that so fucking suspect that you should be like, oh my god, this is the most obvious goddamn thing in the universe. How have you? How are you not immediately saying, oh, it's obviously the Compton effect? And because the, there's just enormous gluts of plasma being blasted out of the sun's ass, just coating up the just absolutely everywhere. There's just tons and tons of plasma we are surrounded by you know coming away from the sun and and, and it just there's plasma all throughout the fucking universe just tons and tons of free plasma just blowing all over the fucking place in the universe and they're not believing that that's going to cause a, a compton shift the only argument i have ever seen and i looked a lot the only argument i ever saw was based on the fact that the compton uh effect at extremely short distances in like magnetic res resonance imaging or in, in like there's a various different imaging uh, things where if you have the Compton effect, what it'll end up doing is making the image resolution uh, become extremely fuzzy. However, that is only an effect of the change, the immense change of the angle of incidence that occurs at short distances. The light that changes by by a large the, when the angle right. of incidence of, of a of a uh, of a scatter effect is changed by any significant amount whatsoever in large distances, it'll miss our planet entirely. We will not see that light that is scattered right. at angles of incidence that are not directly aimed at a planet. However, those which are scattered, there is scattering that still happens directly in a, a, a straight line that occurs as well. Those. Uh, uh, will not be blurred. So then what you have is that you'll see this, you'll see uh, what, what would be the effect of the the accountant effect, you know, causing all the redshift in the galaxy. Oh, well, we'd look around and we'd see like, you know, I don't know, a background, you know, radiation, cosmic uh, uh, microwave background is what we'd see from those scatter events that didn't come directly uh, from, from the stars, but just came from like all over the fucking place. And then we would also see everything redshifted from us directly proportional to the distance from our location 
because the amount of to the total amount of uh, plasma that, it, that the light had to travel through would be uh, linearly dependent. So it's exactly, exactly what would happen. And it's like the the uh, instead we're going to say that the universe is made up of eighty fucking percent dark uh, pixie dust bullshit. That's and that is what they've chosen instead because they they're not even looking at the Compton effect. Right. And the only and it's it's just so fucking simple. It's so goddamn simple that you'd think they're like, of course they've looked at that. Of course, there's some really big reason why they're not. No, there's not a really good reason why not. It's a, there's the sociology around right, around theoretical science is such a strong effect. The sociology, the the people believing in what other people believe and taking uh, the uh, the th authorities word for it is such an enormous effect in science that it's just it's mind-boggling that how much that impacts the direction that our and we're talking about between goes. scientists not yes between scientists <laughs> exactly it's the the there is the they don't they don't consider in their lack of considering uh, the human element, they are the most strongly exposed and, and weak to it because they do not think that there is a, there, there is a human element in, in, their their, uh, in their science. They have a, just a ginormous amount of, of human error being mixed in because they're not they're considering it. it. Right. They're not looking for it. They're not expecting it. They're not. They're not believing that it's ever present. That we are. That they're human infallible. beings are flawed and, and right. will, will be biased by various experiences and by our. And, I mean, and, and they're not even looking at the necessity. Is a goddamn necessity that you rely upon systems of uh, of authority for your estimation of truth. You can't do every experiment yourself. You can't go and look directly at Mars and make sure that a camera is actually working the way that it is. And you can always doubt that, well, they, they can't, I didn't, there was no human being that actually saw that thing on Mars, so therefore I could doubt that anybody's actually seen any of the features of Mars. And, those, those, and you, know, you can have infinite doubt and so because that infinite doubt is a possibility, you must then have these systems of faith that are based on your cross, you, you know, uh, cross-referencing other experiences with cameras, for instance. You're cross-referencing those, and then you have this, this, this basically a faith that is based on a lot of experience, but it is still, in, in essence, a type of faith. It is, a, it is you're not allowing what you believe to be unreasonable doubts. But this, the truth of the matter is sometimes you think unreasonable doubts, you think that there are things that are unreasonable doubts, and they're not unreasonable. You just don't have the information you need to know that those, those doubts are actually reasonable. And so there's this, this continuum of faith and doubt in our, in our way of looking at the world around us that is dependent upon uh, having to look at these systems of authority and use them because they are the best that we have. We have these systems, that, that, and, but then the problem is because we rely on them, sometimes we don't want to deal with the fact that they can go terribly, horribly fucking wrong. And that's what's been happening in science is we're at another point at which we need revolution and there's tons and tons of people who have a really hard time dealing with the fact that we have failed again that we've come to another point at which our faith and uh, that we that we refuse to believe was faith we refuse to say we have all these various faiths and these different theories and things like that that and that that completely color and determine the way that we do experiments they don't just color our interpretations of previous experiments they guide the way that we set up experiments from those assumptions 
We take assumptions, and then our entire experimental setup is colored by our previous assumptions. And so, there, so a lot of times you just get this garbage in, garbage out feedback loop, and that's why the Kuhnian revolution, the, the Thomas Kuhn's structure of scientific revolutions, was so relevant and is and will continue to be so relevant. It was a fantastic work that really identified a basic necessity of going back and forth between specialization and generalization and finding a ground truth, exploring around it, and then revolutionizing and starting again from the beginning uh, with the new lessons learned and integrated. And so that's, there is this, this thing that we have a reliance upon faith. And if we face that, then we can say, of course, we're going to continue to fail. We're going to come to wrong conclusions. We're going to make, we're going to make bad experiments. And that's the, that's the thing people also don't get, is that there is such a thing as a bad experiment there, uh, where you can set up the experiment to fool yourself, where you're basically, you're, you are an, uh, an illusionist. You are your own illusionist. You make these assumptions, and the way you set it up continues to hide the, the truth from you because you're kind of an accidental illusionist. And that does absolutely happen all the time because of the expectations that we uh, that we that we put that we have forward. It's like you know, just like those people in Papua New Guinea, with the, where every time they go out there with a with a root and, and sing to the tree and all that, it reinforces their belief that there is a spirit in that root that is bringing them fish. It reinforces that idea over and over and over. And and they have all this just massive amounts of irrefutable proof on personal experience that the spirit has gone out there and gotten them the fish because they don't understand it's a neurotoxin because they their 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 theory does have some harmony with uh, you know with reality it does have some ability to because it is a truth within limits and so we have that happen so so the next time that we set up an experiment you know, we can end up that, that those same people can go out there with that root and burn it and they can end up like, you know, impacting bees. And then that'll be yet another layer of, of proof that the, you know, this, this you know, definitely this is a tree of hunting and fishing or whatever the fuck. And then the spirit brings, it's a spirit of blessings of food. And, you know, there's, there's ways in which this ends up polluting our, systems of knowledge and understanding that fact and having some view of the sociology that, that and the necessity the necessity of the of faith and, and therefore the necessity of coming to the wrong conclusions and being able to back out of those conclusions and say we did it and we did it for damn good reason we came to these conclusions set our sights on a specific goal and a specific set of theories and ideas to go and test them out and we had good reason to do that and then and now we found them to have failed but the problem is we become so attached to them and they become such a personal thing where it's like you know these are uh, uh, and that that really you, you can lay that at the feet of the people who are superstitious who were the 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 i think uh, you can lay it at the feet of capitalism and careerism and well and not just that but the, tying their whole self-worth there's bandwagoners okay so bandwagoners who believe in things superstitiously who grab onto whatever the next authority is they they really strongly associate their self-worth with their group in other words their power their authority their value all of those things are very strongly associated with their group and so then when your group is the sciencey people and that is your group that you associate yourself with and you are that kind of superstitious believer where you believe things almost entirely because of the group then you can do things like 
you can attack other people with well there are crackpots and uh and pseudoscientists and and basically uh be saying saying they're heretics because the way that you believe is 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 just superstitious you're just it's a, just a popularity thing and, and so a lot of times these people have arrogance by proxy and what i mean by this is they personally don't believe themselves they can be ultimately humble just just super ultra humble uh, uh you know f about their personal self and then become a vicious uh arrogant douchebag uh based on their group in other words they will these people a lot of times have no self uh, they don't value themselves in, in any way. They simply, they're like, oh yeah, I don't know anything but the scientific group. And so they gain this power, this uh, through, through, version of virtue signaling. Through, uh, yeah. through associating only with the group. And then on behalf of the right. group, they go out and they attack and they are skeptics. They're, when in fact, they are the very opposite of skeptics. They, because believers. a skeptic has to be skeptical of themselves. They're super fans. <laughs> right, exactly. And so you have this, this group in science, and that tends to pollute. And then, and then of course, there's also just in, uh, science denial. Science denial is a real problem. It's a real thing. It's a real problem. Uh, where And then they have to defend themselves. So that strengthens it. And so there's all these human factors that end up strengthening these, these orthodoxies where people associate their the the current you know the system the system is good the, the, the that idea of taking a, a a theory that works pretty well and exploring around it and doing your best to flesh it out because you got to start somewhere and got to push it through to its uh, eventual conclusion that's a good system that's necessary but there has to be a cycle we have to be okay with the cycle and when you become attached to that that one because you have to sort of attach to it at, at, at first to be able to put in the time to explore it and really flesh it out but then you become so attached to it as a community because mm -hmm. of all these various social factors that it becomes the hardcore orthodoxy you can't be it you're you're not in the in group anymore you're, in you're, you're part out. of the out group mm -hmm. you're part of those those uh crazies who don't believe that you know in this version of our religion you're those crazy people you're the outside and so it's that it's that kind of religious zealotry that enters any belief system and the truth of the matter is that you know you can pick any group of people who are a fairly large group sharing similar beliefs and you'll always have bandwagoners who who make them look bad pick any group and like like you want to talk you want to talk bad about christians well then you can talk about like the uh is it the duggars or the or the the uh westboro baptist and you you can you know you can pick any group that you want to and there's always going to be these 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 bandwagoners who fuck it all up and and a lot of times they end up becoming the majority because i think that the a larger portion of humanity are bandwagoners than there are the people who who actually create these groups Green followers yeah. right so they're the people who just jump on the popularity wagon because that is a kind of basic safety mm -hmm. that uh for a human to be part of a group. The default group yeah right and so i think the larger part of most groups ends up always anytime a group has been around long enough the larger portion of that group becomes the and the dominant portion of therefore because they are the larger group they are the dominant part of every group ends up being the the superstitious followers of it who just who are just joining the group and it's like okay so this is our this is our articles of faith this is our you know uh, our sets of beliefs these are our you know the ways in which we you know uh, carry out these things these are our rituals these are our, you know all of those things and so that exists in every group and science is certainly not fucking immune it's now a very big 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 dominant group 
Uh, and so therefore, because of its power, it is, is gathering more and more and more of that kind of superstitious believer uh, to its side. Whereas, it, it, whereas the ones who, as a matter of fact, I just had a, I haven't read the email from John Bush. Oh my God, you, you, uh, Ah, oh, god damn it! You you tricked me. I uh, right as I was about to read it, I was I was. You I, went to I, help me instead. Because he actually had something good to say about an article I wrote, which was about him. So let me bring this up because the, I haven't even read it yet. But this is just kind of a, it's part of this whole sociology of science and the and the revolution that's happening in the background. And that is John Bush at MIT is a um, uh, he is at the forefront of. The, the coming revolution in science that's that is actually occurring under the surface right now he is the uh it's it's the um uh hydrodynamic quantum uh is it hydrodynamic quantum analogs or quantum hydrodynamic analogs i'm not sure but it's the mit fluid I dynamics think it matters well it'll be, if they want to google it, it, it it'll come up better one way than the other but anyway so he is the one who's been doing uh, a tremendous amount of the you we'll know, make sure to link john bush's um MIT lab in the Patreon public post for this. Uh, yeah. So let me say show. beforehand, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not going to claim to, you know, be the perfect purveyor of anybody else's material. However, uh, uh, like I recently wrote an article uh, about how uh, there was a, um, a, an article in Quanta magazine about uh, the, you know, these experiments uh doom the alternative to quantum physics okay so first off that clickbait title what they were trying to say is this alternative interpretation of quantum physics not alternative to quantum physics but an alternative interpretation in other words a different you know perspective on what it is that we're looking at you know what the evidence actually means you know a different perspective of the connection between the map and the territory how accurate is the map to the territory, that question. What they were trying to say is there are some experiments that doomed that this alternative viewpoint of pilot wave theory. That was am amazing sensationalism. We talked about it. From, yeah, okay. From the the grandchild of because it literally the central figure of the Copenhagen interpretation, which is uh, the the one that they're think, trying to I mean, to. Yeah, we need to explain I, a little I bit am, more about that. I am. Um, You're interrupting me so much that I'm making it impossible. Because we talked about it on Cherry Stem. Just because and we and talked there was, about it. Yeah, no, not only did we talk about it, but it was like the next day or like within yeah. a very okay. conspicuous time frame. And the people frame, who are listening may not have heard it. That it came out and we talked about the, that thing again. So I'm yeah. uh, okay. apparently it's, we. It's a very important world event. We're exactly. Talking about that's is, what I'm. Is, that's what I'm talking is about the too. Shifting of the entire. N world. Not only did we talk about it uh, beforehand to it, and then primed the world to be like, "What is pilot wave?" And then this thing came out that is like, "Fuck pilot wave!" And then we talked about that. But you also wrote an article about it. Is what you're yes. saying? Yes. Okay. So now let me finish what I'm saying. Yes. This is yes. This is, when it comes to. An absolute revolution in physics, that means an absolute re revolution in technology, which means a, a revolution in energy, which re which relates to everything from world power to economics to food to you fucking name it. Absolutely everything is dependent upon Super important. A, a revolution in <laughs> physics that will absolutely fundamentally change human existence if we have this gigantic revolution. And it's happening. So, and the revolution is based on the pilot wave theory, which is counter to the Copenhagen interpretation which is a legacy of Niels Bohr. Yes, that is Niels Bohr's legacy. 
his grandson uh, carried out the uh, an attempt, a, a failed attempt to replicate uh, Eve's Couday's silicon walker experiments, which the silicon walkers are these droplets that that bounce up and down on a uh, on a, a liquid of it is a drop of the same liquid bouncing up and down on that liquid because of the wave mechanics, uh, and he attempted to to replicate this dual slit experiment that Yves Coudet did. Uh, and he failed to replicate specifically the dual slit experimental effects. So what this means is that, so uh, originally going back to the, the uh, Coudet experiment, he found that these, these walkers show this macro level, in other words, way above the quantum where all this, the crazy magic shit's supposed to be happening, uh, the, that these droplets bouncing on a bath will exhibit the same effects that like a droplet goes through these two slits, comes out the other side, and will hit a screen on the other side in a pattern that has interference. And so this shows this, what we, what we believed was wave-particle duality, which means that it was neither a wave or a particle, it's both simultaneously, and, and, but not two separate things, only one thing, and there's this kind of fuzzy idea it's of reality. It's a man reality. and God at the same time. Right, yes, this, this fuzzy, mystics-based version of reality that came in with Niels Bohr and the Copenhagen interpretation, that uh, was, is held together mainly by this dual-slit experiment, and here you have a droplet which has a wave field that interact interacts with the 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 trajectory of that droplet bouncing on the wave surface waves and as well as altering those surface waves and this complex chaotic interaction creates a chaotic determinism system that results in not just the uh, the dual slit experiment with the with the its interesting uh, pattern that that comes out which is an interference pattern but also just uh, the entire list of all the other weird quantum effects from tunneling to uh, how, how particles you know, uh, interact with each other. There's just a, a huge plethora that, that are not well represented in short form of all of these quantum effects in these, uh, these uh, walkers. So this article, this quanta article, actually even mentioned John Bush and an, uh, and one of his um, and, and another um, fluid dynamics expert in from England uh, and by name and they but they go on to really make it seem like this one failed experiment by the by the Bohr's grandson's team uh, actually it's multiple teams that he coordinated but is is proof that pilot wave doesn't work which that's just multiple steps of bullshit uh, and and the biggest one, of course, is it's it's only the the dual slit experiment that they failed to replicate, mm. and it's only they failed to replicate it because it, the, one of the, the uh, papers that uh, Bush put out showed that not only were uh, did they before this article even came out another paper that they didn't add have in this article. It, I, I'll admit it was close, and so they may have just missed it instead of just completely. You know, I, I don't think they were purposefully uh, creating propaganda. I think it's just, you know, internal bias. Uh, but the, the, there was another set of experiments that showed how uh, you could you could obliterate the the uh, the dual slit um, or replicate it uh, by changing various uh, ways uh, that the setup works. And so they they did this huge study of exactly how 
you put together your your dual slit experiment and what features impact and create uh, changes to the dual slit experiment with these walkers. And so not only did they replicate the dual slit experiment, they they made it uh, even you know many layers of better understanding involved with that experiment with the walkers and that is completely ignoring all of the other quantum mechanical effects that are replicated by the walkers so here we have all of these mechanical effects that are entirely deterministic okay and everything that you've heard about physics is oh everything's spooky underneath the, the, the uh, underneath the surface there's magical connections between things and nobody knows why and it's all just random and there's this randomness is at the heart of the universe and spooky weirdness is at the heart of the universe and you never hear the fact that it is replicable all of those effects are replicable with determinism it's just you need chaos theory and you need complexity dynamics to understand how these wave systems work together to create these outcomes based on very subtle effects. And so that actually is something that that was shown. And so, yeah, I was just recently, um, I just got an email back from him. So he, he at least, uh, the, the first line of it I saw in the email, which he at least liked my article. I don't, I don't know how, how well I, I did according to him, but he at least liked my article where I kind of explicated some of this, this stuff because they've done a review of all of the literature and how much there is to learn from these parts of pilot wave theory. And they're finding things like a better understanding. Because here's the thing, actually John Bush and, and uh, in particular is, he's not using, okay, so my, mainly pilot wave is attributed to Bohm's resurrection of uh, De Broglie's work. And, uh, and so Bohm has his own kind of version of uh, De Broglie's wave mechanics. And De Broglie was the, uh, was the inspiration for Schrodinger, by the way. So Schrodinger's first paper where he created the Schrodinger wave equation, which is uh, uh, the central part of you know, uh, quantum mechanics, uh, he, that was based on De Broglie's work. And so uh, Bohm and De Broglie, it's called uh, De Broglie-Bohm theory is an alternate um, uh, label for pilot wave. But Bohm's work actually has some small differences from De Broglie's work because De Broglie continued to develop his work, but he didn't have these experiments to refine what he was doing. Bush has actually pushed pilot wave further by taking some of De Broglie's original work and applying it to this new evidence. And we found an, uh, all of these various effects like entanglement and what looked like spooky action at a distance and, and, and things like non-locality. Non-locality is just a complex effect. It is not some, you can move something here and a billion miles away, something else is impacted, but not really and no information and all these fuzzy fucking bullshit uh, ideas that people have are actually explicated in the most fine detail and deterministic real rational mechanics by uh by bush and of course by pilot wave theory and and, and whenever people are talking about copenhagen's silly magic bullshit they are always talking about well there's these bell inequalities and what you don't find out is uh john stewart bell talked about how bell inequalities was bullshit because of uh, pilot wave theory because it, and, and he, he actually talked about it numerous times that he found it so absurd that people were still talking about bell inequalities you know years later and when they shouldn't when when there's something so obviously a better approach 
So anyhow, the, I, I forget how we got on this tangent, but it's just really important to this revolution in science that's going on right now. And, uh, and, and the, the problem is that people like John Bush are, are humble. He, didn't, he doesn't even call it his own work. It should be called like Neopilot Wave because it's, it is actually an advancement of the theory that brings more information to the table. And it's something that he has personally added. Well, along with some other, there's a couple of other people who have contributed from Cambridge as well to, to the advancement of this uh, of Pilot Wave. But the, the hydrodynamic alternative has been there all along. It's there in history and nobody talks about it. It's right there and easily tracked down. And it's, uh, hydrodynamics was the uh, way in which we understood reality before Einstein accidentally uh, uh, causing the, the <laughs> before Einstein's comment that oh I don't need to consider the ether to to do these mathematics because Lorentz already did it before that moment in time hydrodynamics was what gave birth to all of our advanced mathematics so uh, all of the mathematics that we use in physics are based on hydrodynamics uh, Maxwell's equations are entirely a description his, when, when you look at his papers he's describing hydrodynamics and those those things continued forward hydrodynamics was present all throughout the history of physics up into the present day and so that is what is occurring right now under the surface a few people know about it that there is a that there is a uh, a revolution happening that is the hydrodynamics revolution I call it the neoclassical revolution of, uh, of physics and it's and it's just it's amazing to be here at this moment when when things are about to shift and about to shift immensely it's about to become this gigantic thing because there's so much work to do in basically looking at all the work that we've done so far because a hydrodynamic view revolutionizes what we're looking at so much that we have to look at all these advances that we've made along the way and say, okay, this fits with this, this fits with this. All these points in which the analogy between the two has to be fleshed out better. In other words, okay, so we came to these conclusions with these mathematics, and they are true because they are descriptions of experiment, but they're, they're the way that we divided this from this and all of our dividing points and things like that, are, are, are that, that's the problem. Our ability to understand what's happening that we're looking at, what the math actually represents is um, divided up into pieces that make it really difficult to continue to advance uh, modern theory. However, hydrodynamics will allow us to divide it up in a different way, but that work still has to be done. So this, this revolution still has a lot of work to do, but at the same time, what the, the opportunities it has for advancement, for the, uh, the changes that can happen, is just gigantic. So anyhow, that, that's, uh, that, let's continue forward from that perspective of the, that there's a hydrodynamic revolution. There's all these various things in science that there are these great alternatives for it and nobody talks enough about the alternatives, mm -hmm. that the math can stay exactly the fucking same in certain aspects. In other words, that when you tally it up at the end, the math still comes out the same. It's just the point that the touch points at which you look at the math, in other words, calculating from here to here or here to here, the points at which you look at it will change. But the, the, the overall, the way it all adds up will stay the same. And it's just by this revolution of interpretation that will have this massive change. And so, you know, yeah, experiments are experiments. They're, they're, they're showing something. There's, something's really happening. And you can describe that something with numbers 
And then those numbers are in some way kind of connected directly to reality. But what it means and how you can then apply it to technology, what it means and, and how that it will evolve in various ways and the, you know what those symmetries mean is that has been the problem. That is where, where the actual revolution is occurring. So yeah, let's look at the, 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 the dead end that physics has, has hit and, the, and how people are continuing to talk about it day after day after day that physics is at a fucking dead end. And this is the reason it's at a dead end because it needs this revolution. Yeah, actually I think you came from the um, talking about how you think that there'd be certain simple things uh, that you, the scientific community, scientific community would just double check on to make sure don't. it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't. Uh, but oh, you want to read it? Sure. You want to cool. <clears throat> All right. Let's see. Science news. Whoa, whoa. Independent journalism since 1921. Whoa, whoa. When did this article come out? Let's take uh, a look. Where's the date of the article? I like to look at the dates of articles. This came out on July 20th, uh, July 30th, well, last year. Okay, cool. It's not super new, but it's not super super new, but new enough. I mean, hell. That's uh, yeah, not that long ago. Wait, um, last year you mean 2019? 2019, yes. Oh, so six months ago. Yes. Yeah, right. So So just six months ago. March? <laughs> oh, well. Or July. Months. Oh, yeah, no, July. Yeah, like six months ago. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, not that long not ago. Not that long ago. Right. <laughs> not at all. All right. Debate of the universe's expansion rate may unravel physics. Is well, it a crisis? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, so now one of the things I wish I need to find this. Uh, I've got it written down somewhere, and now I can't find where I wrote it down. Oh. But there's this this explanation of how far off we are in in experiment versus our theory, mm. and it's this great thing where you say it's a hundred million trillion billion, and you and you and you literally oh, I remember that, yeah. And you literally have to say it that way. There's just no good way of saying how bad off we are. Uh, in our experiment versus uh, versus theory, and I, I just love it. It's the greatest thing because it's the hugest, most enormous comical fucking dis a comical discrepancy in science, and nobody wants to fucking talk about it because of course it's they just don't. So, it's embarrassing. It's because it's so fucking bad. It's just so bad. So all right. Because I mean, we always do this thing where we're like, we are smart. Now. Yes, now. Those people in the past, they were dumb. Yeah, we're smart. But we're smart now. We've got it all right now. Uh, so, okay. So, we don't want to admit it when we're so, not. And we'll never get anything wrong ever again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Santa Barbara, California. The word crisis hung in the air from the very beginning of the meeting. Uh, in a room just steps from the ocean in Santa Barbara, astronomers and physicists uh, shifted restlessly in their chairs. Sunshine and sea breezes beckoned, but the scientists had cloistered themselves to debate one of the biggest quandaries in physics, how fast the universe is expanding. And, of course, I talked about that earlier. Um, yeah, the... Mm -hmm. Yep, the the um, plasma thing, yes. The right. Compton effect and plasma. The Compton effect with plasma, right. Um, estimates based on exploding stars or supernovas has suggested that the universe is growing, growing approximately 10% faster than indicated by light emitted just after the Big Bang about 13.8 uh, billion years ago. Yeah. Let me stop them right there. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, you don't okay. have to stop them right there. No, I do. <laughs> okay. Oh, I goddamn do. The idea that you're seeing light that was emitted by the Big Bang 
is just the most ginormous leap of absurdity you could possibly imagine. So 13.8 billion years ago, that light never passed by us. It never got absorbed. Uh, it, you know, it's just, it's that same light that was, you know, 13.8 billion years ago. We're seeing it right now. That is what they're assuming. Uh, and just, I, you know, I'm just, there's no words. There's just no words. It's so, it's so insane. So anyhow, that's one of the assumptions that the cosmic microwave background is this uh, view of the Big Bang. We're seeing the Big Bang. They just want to feel special, like oh, vicariously God. living through. It's <laughs> so absurd. Um, so that's what they're talking about there. It's just, you know, that's, that's one of their articles of faith, one of their gigantic, enormous, crazed leaps of faith that they rely on. Like, it's just, oh, yeah, everybody knows that. Everybody, everybody knows that. Uh, now a measurement based on observations of luminous objects called quasars have pushed the problem beyond the statistical benchmark known as five sigma, denoting that the issue was something to take seriously. At the front of the room on July 15, two Nobel-winning physicists, uh, physics titans debated the appropriate level of alarm. Cosmologist Adam Rees of the Space Telescope Science Institute, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, in Baltimore, queried uh, theoretical particle physicist uh, David Gross. How would particle uh, physicists refer to a discrepancy this large? If we found something like this, we wouldn't call it a tension or a problem, but rather a crisis, said Gross of the Cabell Institute for Theoretical Physics at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Scientists at the meeting immediately adopted the word crisis to describe the difference in expansion estimates, but not everyone agrees that the problem is, is real. In physics, uh, physicists' version of a mic drop, a study appeared online that evening challenging the narrative. A new version of the supernova technique found a value of the Hubble constant of the parameter that quantifies the universe's expansion that was uh, consistent with the measurements from the early universe. Measurements from the early universe. <laughs> let, me, let me say that again. Measurements from the early universe. Didn't realize we had a... Yeah, I didn't realize we, we, we had such accurate, perfect measurements of the early universe. And instruments. Yeah, it's just the, back then. Yeah, the instrumentation. We got that 13.8 billion years ago. We got it perfect, man. We got it. There's no doubt. We're so awesome. Do not do not look any at this too closely, but we have got it completely perfect. We can utterly rely on this data 100% because, well, it's observational data. This is empirical science here, people. The, <laughs> the data from uh, measurements of the early universe. So, a crisis or not yet. Much is at stake, including scientists' basic understanding of what the universe uh, contains and how it evolves over time. You know, I love the fact that they're not really uh, dealing with certain aspects of the uh, cosmological constant problem. Anyway, <clears throat> so far, a theory known as the standard cosmological model has succeeded in explaining a wide variety of cosmic... Did you just say that? Did you just say standard cosmological model? No, I said uh, the cosmological constant problem, which is also known as the uh, vacuum energy catastrophe. Um, so that's it. I, I prefer the catastrophe because that's what the, is a better representation of how fucked up it the is. The crisis, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. So remember, we're talking about uh, the the right right now. We're okay with the fact that ninety five percent of the universe is not baryonic matter it is not the matter that we see it is not the plasma it's not the stars it's not the dark planets that are not lit up whenever we say dark matter we are talking about magic fairy juju that you cannot actually detect with any instruments other than 
You can detect its effects, just like you, you could detect the effects of little devils with lassos pulling down the, you know, uh, the apples from trees. You could detect that you know they're there by the their actions that they take. That's our belief about uh, uh, a huge portion of the universe, dark matter, and then dark energy. And the two, the two of those combined makes it where I believe it's right around 5% of the universe is what we actually see. And the rest of it is this magical fairy dust that we believe in. These two types. There's two types of magical fairy dust, though. Two types, thank you very much. We know exactly how, how much of it there is, and uh, we can quantify it exactly. Yes. There's, very, very, there's lots of numbers around this. Lots and lots. Math doesn't lie. Math does not, the math doesn't lie. You can't argue with the math. Um, all right. Much is at stake, including science's basic understanding what the known universe, uh, what the universe contains, and how it evolves over time. So far, a theory known as the standard cosmological model has succeeded in explaining a wide variety of cosmic observations. But the discrepancy in measurements of the universe's expansion can mean that the model itself needs to be drastically altered. You think? And this is, by the way, this is in addition to the dark matter and energy. Okay, this other problem is in addition to us having ninety-five percent. Magic fairy dust. Well, they don't see that as a problem. That's, no, that's not a problem. That's right. Not. They don't see that as a problem. That's I not, see it as a problem, but they don't. That's not a problem at all. What are you talking about? There's numbers around it. It's proof. It's truth. That's, that's all you need. Um, if the impasse can't be explained away by experimental error, says theoretical physicist Vivian Pullen of, of CNRS and Laboratory University et Particules de Montpellier in France. I'm sure I butchered the living <laughs> fuck out of that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it would mean that there is really something very important that we do not understand uh, from the very early universe. No. <laughs> Say it ain't so. Laboratoire universe at particule de Montpellier. Yes. If unknown phenomena occurred in the infant cosmos, such as a, a different type of dark energy uh, or new subatomic particles, that could alter our understanding of how the universe has evolved and possibly bring the two measurements back into agreement. Because, of course, that's what you want to do. Make sure to just keep working towards bringing the... the, the Shit, back the, into agreement. Back, back into agreement. Work really hard at that because that's the goal, right? Just bringing your, your preconceived notions back into agreement with each other Aligning. is the only thing you really need to do. An expanding issue. One technique for measuring the current expansion of the universe is taking a baby picture of the cosmos and extrapolating to the present day. What? <laughs> no, wait. This is, oh, this is wait, 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 wait. You're wait, telling wait. me they don't take the picture of the current cosmos and extrapolate to what it looked like as a baby. They take a picture of a baby cosmos? Where do they get a baby cosmos? <laughs> That infant image is the cosmic microwave background. Wait, no, what? Light no, emitted wait. just three hundred eighty thousand years after the Big Bang. No, so it's exactly wait. see. The, Where did they find a cosmic nursery? First of all, <laughs> where are they getting these babies? Well, this is this is this is not a light emitted at the Big Bang. This is light emitted three hundred eighty thousand. Oh, and of course, I'm just rounding. Uh, three hundred eighty thousand years after the Big Bang. Exactly. We know that because... Because why? Because. You don't... Because you, you pseudoscientist, you heretic, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, to translate that information into an expansion rate of the, uh, of the modern day universe... Uh-oh. <laughs> there go the alarms. <laughs> 
That infant image of the cosmic microwave background migrated 380,000 years after the Big Bang to translate that information uh, into an expansion rate of the, uh, of the modern day universe. Scientists use the standard cosmological model to make a prediction. <clears throat> Using that strategy, scientists with the Planck uh, with the Planck experiment have estimated that the universe is expanding at a rate of 67.4 kilometers per second for each megaparsec or about 3 million light years of distance between objects. The number leaves little wiggle room for disagreement. The okay. <laughs> oh god, is the the I mean, come on. If you've ever been, here's the thing. If you've ever been in a religious discussion, this is so fucking familiar. This is so goddamn familiar to me. Okay? I came out of a of a religion where they had these these things where they just they knew for sure, so for sure that they they get mad at each other about these little agreements over things that were that they have just zero fucking proof of. But they get so mad about the little tiny fucking details of the bullshit that they believed that had no proof at all whatsoever. And that's what's going on here. This is just so fucking familiar. Oh God. Alright, so little little wiggle room for disagreement the experimental error is only 0.5 kilometers per mega per second per megaparsec it's only that small that's the error that's the only that's the experimental error right there what yeah i mean that's it that's, that is impressive i am so impressed let me tell you massively impressed they have such good experimenters so such such careful experimental experimenters let me tell you they are the mathiest of mathness that ever mathed but supernova uh, measurements have settled on a larger expansion rate of 74 kilometers per second per megaparsec uh, with an error of 1.4 kilometers per second per megaparsec. That leaves an inexplicable gap between the two estimates. Wow. Now the community has started to take this problem extremely seriously, says cosmologist uh, Daniel Skolnick of Duke University, who works on the supernova project led by Reese called Shoes. It's unlikely that an experimental error in the Planck measurements could explain this, the, the discrepancy. The prospect is not a possible route out of our current crisis, said cosmologist Lloyd Knox at the University of California, Davis, meeting plus another technique with its basis in the early universe, the measurement of sound waves known as baryon acoustic oscillations, when combined with other measurements, agrees with the Planck result. So worries have centered on the possibility that uh, that the supernova measurements contain unaccounted for systematic errors, biases that push the shoes estimate to a larger value. What keeps me awake at night is what are the systematics that we might not know about when we only do one method, says cosmologist Wendy Friedman from the University of Chicago. Gee, I don't know. Only one method uh, of, of doing things with one uh, interpretation and one you know, view of exactly how things happened and all of these massive, massive stacks of assumptions upon assumptions upon assumptions upon assumptions upon assumptions. Gee, how could that go wrong? Never. I don't know. Friedman took it upon herself to check distance woes. To measure how, the fast uh, how fast the universe is expanding right now, scientists need to combine two bits of information. How fast distant objects appear to be receding from us and how far away they are. The first is relatively easy. Scientists look for a redshift, a stretching of the wavelengths of light emitted by an object. Measuring distance is much trickier. 
Astronomers employ standard candles, celestial objects that emit a consistent, quantifiable brightness, such as explosions of a supernova variety call, uh, called Type 1A. So this is actually uh, pretty cool. Uh, with a, a real candle, if an object's brightness is known, we can determine how far away uh, it is by how much uh, it has dimmed due to distance. See, th that's the thing. When they come up with with cool shit, and they do, they come up with lots of cool, true, accurate shit. Right, there are observations. Yeah, there are observations that are very realistic and very well cross-checked, and it's just mixed so inextricably with crazed bullshit that uh, that you and it's baby and bathwater and being able to separate the wheat from the chaff the separate the baby from the bathwater of this stuff is something that they don't even try to do they either just drink down oceans of bathwater to to keep that little baby or they or they throw out the, this gigantic baby because there's a few type a couple of drops of of bathwater and it's just they they they're they're constantly doing that. And the truth of the matter is they have an enormous amount of baby and bathwater that you have to accept is going to be there whenever we're, we're, we're trying to quantify unknown frontiers and we want to feel like we did it. But the problem is wanting so bad to feel like we did it and feel like it's, it's all done that we end up coming up with this crazy schizophrenic shit. Ah, oh, man. Okay. Setting the distance scale requires a distance ladder, using a nearby object of uniform brightness as a bridge to supernovas far, uh, farther away. As one rung of that distance ladder, the shoes team uses stars known as uh, cephades. I think that's the right way to pronounce that. Who knows? Uh, I haven't Googled it. Which regularly vary in luminosity in a way that allows scientists to estimate their overall brightness. To check the previous supernova results, Freeman threw out that distance ladder. Instead of Cepheids, she and colleagues used stars called red giants, which, at a certain stage in their lives, achieve a maximum brightness that is the same for each star. The result is completely different from the ground up, Freeman says. In a well-timed dramatic flourish that rocked the gathering of normally unflappable researchers, Freeman unveiled her team's results in a talk on the second day of the meeting as well as a set uh, as well as in a study accepted in the Astrophysical Journal. The result fell squarely in between the conflicting estimates from Shoes and Planck at 69.8 kilometers per second per megaparsec. With a calm firm, uh, firmness, Freeman pushes back on declarations of a crisis, saying that her team's result should cause researchers to pause. So, so here we have three different ways of coming to similar conclusions. And that really makes it seem as though that they're really onto something, right? I mean, you got these three different ways, the top, the bottom, the middle, and there's just not a whole lot of wiggle room. So you really, but the problem is that it's because they're working from similar assumptions. And there are ways that experiments, which are based on empirical data, which is they are observing something out there. They are really, really doing that. That's happening. And there's real quantifiable you know, luminosity and things like that, that are part of these equations. Okay. So that absolutely is there. So of course they're going to come to some similar numbers, but what we're talking about and don't be fooled is what those numbers mean. And that's where we always have this problem of not being able to separate the numbers and their consistency from what the numbers mean. And that is the problem. That's the problem of science. That is the single biggest central problem of science. All right, so holy cow or 
H zero L little oh, I C uh, whatever that is. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm guessing it's some nifty little um, acronym or something. Acronym, right? But even as uh, Freeman's revelation weakened the case for crisis, momentum towards its declaration had already been building. Just a few days before the meeting, the Holy Cow uh, collaboration posted two studies of uh, Archive about a measurement of the Hubble constant based on gravitational lensing of quasars. Uh, uh, bright sources of light powered by a supermassive black hole at the center of the galaxy. Uh, two studies about the measurement, okay. Just like a lens, massive objects can bend light's path. The researchers looked at uh, quasars that had been split into multiple images by such gravitational lenses, making one quasar look like two or more. The phenomenon is similar to the doubled image of a fish you might see as it swims near the corner of a fish tank. Uh, studying how those quasar images flicker resulted in a Hubble constant of 73.3 kilometers per second per megaparsec, supporting the idea of a crisis. It seems like this is more uh, real after uh, more real after our result, says cosmologist uh, Jeff Chifan Chen at the University of California, Davis. Crucially, the researchers did their work blind, meaning that they hid the answer from themselves until the analysis was finished. This technique can prevent an unintended tendency for analyzers to align their result with previously measured values of the Hubble constant. Despite that bent blinding, the result was like an echo of the shoes result, Chen says. So here's the thing. If it is instead of expansion that we're measuring, but instead the amount of uh, plasma in the universe, just to give you an example of how the, this analogy would end up working, where you just simply have the same, the same numbers representing two different uh, realities, expansion versus uh, uh, the, the content of plasma in the universe, you, you still come to the same numbers about this particular point. And so they're, what they're actually trying to decide is that quantity that could be either of these two different things. And, th and that quantity is a real quantity measuring something, but the question is, what is that something? And that's what I'm trying to bring what I'm trying to highlight is that there's so many assumptions that can lead to one interpretation or another of experiment. And, it's the, they, and they're using particular interpretations of which there are very few that they ever talk about. Um, meanwhile, astronomer, uh, astronomer Mark Reed of the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics reported a Hubble constant measurement based on uh, megamasers clouds of gas swirling around a black hole that emit light of a particular wavelength akin to lasers. Which, by the way, a lot of times uh, there are arguments about what exactly black holes are. So that's that's yet mm -hmm. another. There are lots and lots of different... Yeah, I was confused. I was like, are yeah, black what... holes sci-fi? Since when are they real? What is at the center of every galaxy okay. is a black hole? Like, what? Yeah, a supermassive black hole at the center of every galaxy. Now. Is that real? I don't know. It's it's. I'm part, taking it on faith. <laughs> it's part of consensus opinion about the observations. We have gotcha. observed things Some weird shit. That, that, that indicate strong gravitational pull, mm -hmm. a lack of light traveling through the center. That's so good. this so is, that makes sense. So that is a black right. hole, but what exactly is, is a, black a black hole? hole that is, you know, there are, there are different ways to explain that phenomenon, which uh, are thought to be there's only one way to, and that's just not correct. And that's where there's this always this 
unified front of uh, of physics, this unified unified theology of uh, of science that is bullshit that we constantly try to believe is there, and that's a big problem. Um. Okay. So also presented were the uh, measurements based on the variations in the brightnesses of uh, brightness of a galaxy across the, uh, the pixels of an image and other variations of the supernova technique, which use stars called miras uh, instead of cepheids or red giants. Cepheids? Cepheids? Uh, okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, another cosmological puzzle is in, uh, which, by the way, let me point out right here, this is, this is related to the vacuum energy catastrophe, but it is not an explanation of the vacuum energy catastrophe, okay. by the way. So that's another problem. This is a different problem than the problem I was talking about. So there's other, there's just so many various problems in physics where they act like there's zero problems and there's only one viewpoint when there's lots of viewpoints and tons of problems. Mm. Um, okay, so. Meanwhile, another cosmological puzzle is increasingly garnering attention, says Hendrik Hindelbrandt of Ruhr University, Bochum in Germany. There are hints of disagreements in uh, measurements of, of the clumpiness of matter in the universe as measured by a parameter known as sigma-8. To detect this clumpiness, uh, scientists survey the sky looking for a weak variety of gravitational lensing in which galaxies appear to be slightly aligned with each other. This lensing can be used to infer the distribution of mass in the universe, but much like the Hubble constant measurement, that number, as measured by an effort called the Kilo Degree Survey, disagrees with estimates based on cosmic microwave background. So here's the thing. Did you hear where they said infer? Yeah, infer. Right. So there are assumptions that they, that they, that they, there's lots of inferences that they tend to build on, and they just act like an inference is okay, that it's just fine, that it's just that's just part of it, and, and we shouldn't be really that much worried about the, uh, all of these levels of inference that they've used all along the way. When in fact, those points at which they're using inference and all of those basis points that they're building on can, be, can make the whole theory be rearranged from the bottom up and can come to completely different conclusions about the entire fucking thing because of all of those weak points and you come to the same mathematical outcomes with an entirely different theory weaving its way through those ex the, all of those experimental results and all those mathematical results that are descriptions of the experiment um and this is just another example of that where it's the uh the, the You've got the, the inference of the distribution of mass in the universe from gravitational lensing. Well, uh, you know, there could be alignment. How is it that they know that it's just gravitational lensing versus alignments? There are all of these little judgment calls in their metaphysics that they do not acknowledge are judgment calls. They may be good judgment calls, but they are still judgment calls. And that there's all this developing metaphysics that guides physics that people never talk about or criticize because the math underneath is this this shield that they use just because they have numbers they use that as a shield for the uh, for the the metaphysics the metaphysics however are certainly in fucking question and the math is not a shield for them and they've been using it as a shield for 
for over half a century now. Nearly, well, hell, Dark Matter's uh, over 70, 80 years old now. So they've been using the math as a shield for nearly a goddamn century now. Mm -hmm. And math is, does not prove the metaphysics. Uh, this lens can be used in further distribution of mass in the universe. But like the Hubble constant measurement, that me that number, as measured by an effort called the Kilo Degree Survey, disagrees with estimates based on the cosmic microwave background. The sigma-8 tension is the second question mark that we have, Hildebrand says. But the discrepancy is not as significant, he notes, and it has not been studied as closely. It's not as mature, and it hasn't been in the literature for as long, but also doesn't seem to really go away. And they got this neat little graphic here about early versus late estimates and talking uh, about the how uh, estimates of how quasars? fast the universe is expanding so yeah all right so Wait, sometimes uh, sometimes oh, okay. some scientists are wondering if there's any connection between this possible discrepancy and the expansion rate dilemma if researchers determine that there is a second potential problem with their understanding of the universe it would strengthen the case that something is wrong altogether thank you they are, mm. they are at least saying that but there may be something very dramatically, basically fucking wrong with their assumptions at the, the core. Uh, the universe speaks. If the discrepancies can't be chalked up to measurement error, a new theory will need will be needed that is consistent with all the data. But scientists have struggled to find a cohesive explanation. It's because they don't back up far enough. That's the problem. They never back up very far. They always try to want to back up one tiny, tiny, tiny little step in their giant fucking linear progression of assumptions. They'll only back up one step because all they need is one step because all those previous assumptions, those are just fine. They don't, they do not do regression analysis very well. They do not continue to regress in their theories far enough to be able to have actual revolution because they believe that everything that came before has to be right. Otherwise, it, it would all just fall apart. That's not true. It won't all fall apart. You can go back far enough to completely redo all of your assumptions from a very, very basic level. And that's the problem is they can't see that forest. They believe that forest can't possibly exist because they see each one of the individual trees and they understand the trees, but they don't understand the forest. They don't understand the larger overarching theories and their historical context and basis. And that's because, well, you know what? As a specialist, you specialize in one little tiny field and you don't know about all the ways that you can rearrange these fields together because you're not somebody who looks at the the conjunction of all these various different fields you know, uh, of, of uh, that are they have so much information in them that is that you know, has too much error in it right so that so you don't have specialists for looking at the way the, the different fields come together you don't have specialists for looking at how the metaphysics has has developed over time you don't have specialists for that and so therefore they never regress they don't think it's possible to regress back very far without obliterating science. Right. I that's wonder if not it's, true. I wonder if it's a brain type thing because, like, that's the same uh, thing for. And I mean, let's speak broadly, conservative and liberals, in the sense of just brain types, because that is a legitimate, real. Well, it's it's high high risk pattern right. match, matching is more liberal, whereas uh, lowered risk accuracy is more more conservative right there are people who self-identify as liberal and conservative and they do happen to have brain uh patterns that correlate to one group or the other group to where you could actually forget telling a man from a woman based on their brain scans you can tell a conservative from a liberal based on certain responses to certain psychological tests 
yeah. or um, well, not just uh, that not brain activation profiles. There's cogni yeah. cognitive re responses and things, right. uh, and brain signals and all that. So uh, I don't yeah, mean to about, you know fMRI, right? <laughs> exactly. I don't want to malign. I don't want to be like our oh, conservatives are our liberal liberals. I'm just saying that there is a general, a genuine general divide. Uh, between the those types, and so I wonder if that has something to do with and each with type the brain has type. their own weakness. Just That's like men thing. and women, is just it, like everything you else. You have to be able to not understand the the strength and the weakness go together, like a, for each group, like a yeah. power lifter versus a marathon runner. Right. So I wonder if it's a brain type thing that, uh, as part of the the accuracy seeking and doubt avoidance, that because uh, it seems to be the same thing that yes, doesn't have. believe in anarchy, or rather is, is afraid of it. It's like. Uh, they don't be don't believe that people will be able to just self organize, or they right. don't believe that there will. There's this almost like uh, slippery slope thing of like if you allow this, people will be marrying goats yeah. and it'll just be craziness. It's right. like no, that's not no. You need to allow it to yeah, break down some to, because of the specialization in, in smaller scale and the uh, increased accuracy that they gain from mm -hmm. the specialization in smaller scale things. The larger scale things end up being neglected, and therefore the patterns that can be, uh, you know, rearranged at that higher order are not usually very apparent to them, uh, and and that is because generalists are typically suck at some of the. Um, uh, uh, the, looking at the the details and getting the details right, and so therefore the and the, the details uh, are necessary for the larger scale patterns to come together correctly. However, for those small scale, um, you know, individual things to be correct, they, it relies upon these large scale patterns of you know what it means and where we're going and like having having an entirely what it's the difference. That large-scale pattern is the difference between believing it's the spirit of the fishing tree because here I am a specialist. I've spent my entire life fishing with this root, and I go and I beat the root, and I sing to the, the, the god of the tree, and it brings me the fish. I am a specialist in this. I've done it a thousand times. I know exactly which puddles are too big, which are too small. Uh, you know, I know exactly you know, what parts of the tree you know, where the best ones are the, that are the most effective and have the most spirit juju in them. Mm -hmm. You know, I, there's all of those things, and they don't have the larger scale pattern available to them. Where they're, a person who is locked in that experimental worldview, that tiny little worldview that they have, is actually coming to good conclusions based on the limited information that they have. Mm -hmm. They are. Right. But they, but that's the, because they have a limit to the but information. But they don't have they to have. have a limit of information if they just we need each other. Is what you're but the to point say. is, there's only so much. To, yeah, exactly. We need each other. Yeah. We, there's only so much time a human being just can like spend. Just like men and women. And you, just you've like you've got to have specialists who spend right. a tremendous amount of time sussing out these little details, and you've got to have generalists who go and take and put, and each one of them corrects the other, mm -hmm. and each of them upholds the 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 failures of the other and that's the point is we need to be able to recognize each of those types has failures and that they need the the correction of the other and now mm -hmm. it seems that there's this back and forth corrective process between generalization and specialization is something that we really haven't recognized that is an important part of um it's it's an important part of developing these systems of information and and so it's a it's an organizational principle that is valuable for so many different things from governance to you know looking at the way that you develop an ai uh there's a, a, a there's a wide variety of looking at this which is actually part of the kunian cycle the whole reason why you have you have to have a period of specialization upon picking pick something mm -hmm. specialize in it figure it the fuck out and then generalize again and that's what that's what happens that's why you have death in animals 
animals that, that uh, have a lifespan that fits the niche period of time that a specialization will be, be relevant because you have a changing uh, climate, you have changing environment for that, uh, for that one type of animal. And that's why they have all these different lifespans is because, uh, and, and why, the, you know, why is it that they, they seem to be programmed to die at a certain point right. is because you need a specialization that is, uh, that is relevant for a given period of time. And so basically this, the specialization period that is valuable for that particular animal is their lifespan. And then you have regeneralization that is uh, adaptive that goes back to the specialization versus generalization back and forth um, search pattern. And that's what it is, it's a search pattern. And so we, so all throughout of our, our knowledge systems, we need this kind of search pattern occurring. And so we need it in science, of course, to uh, institute a purposeful instead of catastrophic revolution in our knowledge systems. We need purposeful revolution, repeated cycles of generalization and specialization that lead to these, these continuous revolutions as we try to refine our knowledge of the universe. So anyhow, um, going back to the universe speaks, how did we get off, off on the, uh, on that interesting topic? Uh, I won't call it a tangent because it was, it was fucking relevant, goddammit. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no, because you were ex expounding on a, on a point. Yes, yes. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. The discrepancies can't be chalked up to measurement error. A new theory will be needed that is consistent with all the data. But scientists have struggled to find a cohesive explanation. That's what brought this up. <laughs> <laughs> they don't believe a cohesive explanation can happen because they're not capable of of digressing, regressing back to earlier theories and being able to reassemble it all from those, right. those pieces because they don't believe that that's possible yeah. because they're specialists. Uh, almost any tweak to the universe's uh, history, adding in new types of subatomic particles, for example, would conflict with other measurements, throwing physics into turmoil. Wow. Yes, that's why you have to go back further. You have to go back further. Uh, so, uh, have, uh, so we, we have so many different ways of probing the universe that it's very hard to come up with an elegant theory that passes all the tests without creating new tensions. Not yes. Uh, well, no, it is true because they keep well, not going back far enough gotcha. in the way in which they reconceive physics. Um, says uh, Dylan Brute of the University of Pennsylvania. Because, it, of course, it, like I said, they just cannot conceive of the possibility of going way way back going back 200 years in our uh, our conceptions of what all of that experimentation means and developing again from that point how huge is that that's like trying to redevelop the windows operating system right you know it's it's just there's too many things relying upon it there's too many companies using it there's right. too much infrastructure that depends on it there's just you can't do it man you can't do it actually that's not necessarily true um so, one potential solution involves the addition uh, to the mysterious dark energy that is causing the universe expansion to accelerate. An early dark energy. Oh we my just, god. Yeah, so we just, just, add, add. just add another fucking piece of aluminum foil on that, that big old ball of aluminum foil. Because that's how we do that, software development too. You see what, see what they're doing? This is exactly what happens in software development. You do it wrong, just add another and then layer. you keep adding another layer, another layer, another fix, another fix. It becomes so goddamn unstable. It's just this great big pile of shit. And when you, what you really need is redevelopment from scratch. You yeah. have to redevelop from scratch with lessons learned. Um, 
An early dark energy could have acted uh, in the universe's youth, altering the expansion around the time the cosmic microwave background was released. Uh, Poland and uh, colleagues reported at the uh, meeting in the June 7th physical review letters. And disagreement over a Hubble constant has uh, precedent. The estimate has a history of confusing results, says Lucas Macri of Texas A&M University and College Station. In those earlier cases, the universe was trying to tell you that you didn't have the whole picture. In one case, for example, some stars seemed older than the age of the universe. The resolution eventually came in, uh, came in the revelation of the existence of dark energy. After uh, days of uh, discussion, all the evidence has been tallied. The organizers asked for a show of hands. Should the Hubble constant wo woes be, a, uh, be called a tension, a problem, or a crisis? <laughs> oh, that's so silly. Cosmologists, it turned out, were a little hesitant to throw out what they thought they knew about the universe. Only a smattering of hands up when uh, hands went up for crisis. Arguments that a solution might be found without revamping physics seem to have held sway. Really? I'm so surprised. Still, if the Hubble constant puzzle persists, that could mean the universe is once again trying to speak up. Yeah, it's been screaming out loud <laughs> all throughout science If for those who are listening. Screaming and screaming that you're failing in multi-pronged ways across a wide variety of the various physical sciences and, uh, and experimental things. And you keep adding patches to the program. You started with the one gigantic patch that made us swallow the hay. The dark matter patch. Oh, my God. The dark matter was... I don't know how they got that one done. How did they get that one done? Where where it's like know, you know, man. there's there's seventy five percent of the universe. The greater portion of the universe is just magic fairy dust that you can't detect. It's there though, you know. Instead, that's that is such an obvious violation. People of that time still had some scientific integrity where they wouldn't just allow you to keep adding, uh, you know, crazed schizophrenic you know uh I, more and more layers of bullshit and they'd actually had some level of using some occam's razor to say no we're not going to just add magic fucking fairy dust to our model of reality and they still had that somewhat at that time i'm just blown away that they that they were able to you know between 70 and 80 years ago they were able to have this like well the reason our math doesn't add up is because there's magic fairy dust and now we just believe in the the fairy dust really really hard because the math can't be right i mean it can't be wrong and it's, right. uh, you know, it's <laughs> nice right it's like well okay maybe it's not the maybe the problem isn't that there that the math isn't wrong maybe the fact is what you're observing and what you think you're observing happening are two different things right. <laughs> and that's what they can't get and that is the problem of science. That's the issue. It's a sociological one. It's a human one. Yeah. It's a problem with humans. It's emote in someone else's eye. And... <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, that problem still. <sighs> and we're very upset about it because we're well, trying because, to fix it. <laughs> because there is a revolution going on and it's being suppressed by all these sociological right. factors. Yeah. There the, is all the not like those reputable factors. scientists at reputable universities putting putting out peer-reviewed science and nobody's fucking talking about it. I'm talking about it and I'm the only motherfucker talking about it. <laughs> even even I mean that's one of the things that on my article that I sent to, to John Bush is like, you assholes, stop being so fucking so so damned humble. Stop it. 
You need some, you need, nobody's going to hear you if you're speaking with a quiet voice and not even taking credit for your own original work. I mean, he's, he's calling it, still calling it just Pilot Wave and De Bruyne's work when it's his work to, to advance De Bruyne's work in, uh, in Pilot Wave. It's his. And so he's not even claiming it because he's too, that's, that's the thing. To have the scientific, the real biasless scientific uh, perspective that gets the fucking job done. A lot of times that requires a person who has so much fucking self-doubt mm. that they won't even credit themselves with what they've really done. Mm. And that's what's going on is that the best of scientists never get heard. And the worst of scientists are the ones that speak up immediately and are heard because they have the confidence that it's required to strongly br bring forward a, a worldview and allow and then here's the thing people are like oh well that's just pop science communication oh, I'll tell you that's what that's the argument now oh that's just pop science communication that doesn't mean anything like, no wrong okay where do people okay there is so much specialization in science no one scientist can review all the the, the evidence and all of the papers just in their specialization alone it's not fucking possible they can't do it so what decides what new information they're exposed to. I'll tell you what does. Pop science communicators. Pop science communicators are guiding. The, and so there is this, this there, is a, there is a feedback loop between pop science communicators and what science believes that goes back and forth and reinforces itself. And that's what people fail to and refuse to face that pop science communication is what drives science because it also is what drives the the public's view of science and it drives the therefore all of the money that is spent on science and so therefore it is driven by sociological factors that favor those who are more arrogant and those who are, who have more bias over those people who are really self-doubting who actually do find the truth the best they are the quietest voice the loudest voices are the, are the ones that are usually fucking getting it wrong and it's the quiet whisper that you have to be looking for of those people who are just who are like okay this is what i found but i don't know and maybe not not you know and they'll sit there and 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 i'm sorry it feels like mealy mouth i just want to just smack them but I know it's not their fault. They're doing the. They're doing right. They have. They're. They're. They're being without bias. Mm -hmm. And and the truth of the matter is, it took me ten years to 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 realize. I mean, there was a point yeah. in my life where I realized I had that kind of, you know, self-doubting, self-effacing humility that does that is ineffectual for very important tasks. Mm -hmm. And those very important tasks are leading the group, leading the group towards the right direction requires certain things that have their own disadvantages which is a type of arrogance a type of of loudness a type of sticking to one thing a, a level of bias those things are what actually steer the group and so there's this this terrible decision that has to be made and that's why i, I feel like I can be wrong, okay? I, I as because that's what I'm doing is science communication. I can be wrong, be, and, and I have to be able to to deliver something with force and verb on, on behalf of those quiet voices mm -hmm. who are actually doing the real finite, difficult fucking work at those specialization levels, and they're there, and they're just not being heard mm -hmm. because there is this culture, this orthodoxy that is reinforced by this feedback loop between pop science and science true that but by god the revolution is happening
Revolution is here. Mm-hmm. We made sure that. Damn and right. We're, and we're continuing to through sending out the signals. You can't stop the signal now. Through the cherry stem. Something about that signal and stem. Yeah. It, it goes together. <laughs> now everybody clap for dark matter. <laughs> the magical fairy dust of dark matter. Yep. And the woo-woo magic spooky action of uh, of Copenhagen interpretation. Or you will be punished. People will jump on you for daring to doubt the orthodoxy. How dare you? You 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 impotent fuel. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, my entire group will, will back me up when I say that you're an imbecile. My entire group of the, of the orthodoxy community. You're an imbecile for daring to be a heretic like that. You apostate. You apostate. The, the amount of vicious attack that you can, uh, just go out and try it. Go out and doubt something. Just ask, ask a question. Respectfully ask a question. Now, it's not nearly what it was just 10 years ago. But about 10 years ago, it was crazy. It has literally been a, a almost 180 degree turnaround. It's been an enormous, enormous fucking change in the open-mindedness of the physics community as, uh, and as well as because of the, the, pop, the changes in the popular community because uh, they, they're happening at the same time. When it comes to people asking questions, I was literally, by simply asking a question, and in a very, very respectful and humble tone about relativistic physics, I was banned from a, from a uh, immediately banned from a physics community. Uh, it was a, a online, uh, 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 like a very popular online forum back like ten years ago. Just, I mean, and we're, and, and we're not talking about a history of me being some sort of rebel rouser or anything. We're yeah. talking about I was trying to make sure to fit in. I was right. doing my damnedest to fit in with the group there of, of being the humble, oh, please, uh, I am below you. Please educate me. I, I, I couldn't possibly understand anything, for I am a lowly nothing who could never understand the magical wonderfulness of God, I mean, of physics. And, uh, you know, so please educate me. And they still fucking banned me for asking the wrong question. Wow. And uh, and it was so it was Reminds just me of feminism. oh yeah and they would they would attack viciously in groups every time anybody dared to question the orthodoxy in any way whatsoever doesn't matter how many uh, how many references doesn't doesn't matter if you're doing it in a in a uh, a in a forceless way as a matter of fact they'd attack you more if you presented it in terms that were more equivocal that you didn't you weren't sure and you just wanted to know that you get attacked even more you know uh, and, and sometimes if you were just self-effacing enough and put yourself on the bottom and really prostrated yourself before the the almighty power of the of the consensus then they might you know laugh off that your, your ignorance that you somehow got misinformed by some of those crazed whack jobs who dare to ever uh, doubt the consensus mm -hmm. uh and so it's just such a familiar tone of uh of zealotry mm -hmm. That uh, that's that. Oh, I see what you're doing. Oh, <laughs> uh, that what that I've experienced before in other places, but then that has actually changed quite a lot. But you can still go out right now, find the right community, and just start asking qu the wrong questions about physics, and you'll get attacked. It'll happen, and you can you can try this out yourself. 
and you'll see Filled how, it. yeah, you know, no, it, it's, it's, uh, you'll get attacked and, and, and basically ridiculed. Though there will be someone who's still going by that old uh, methodology of G just attack the heretic. Right. And uh, and it's still there. It's it's definitely not gone at all. There's still not an honest, open examination and uh, self-examination of, of things and saying, hey, what about this evidence? What about this evidence? What about this evidence? That is still, um, it's still not allowed. Uh, it's still, there's a, a tremendous amount of pushback. It's just not quite as bad. Well, it's not nearly as bad as it was just a little over a decade ago. And, and I'm really... I'm really feeling good about the changes, even though it's still it's still not where it's supposed to be. It's still not still there's, annoying. there's still not the level of self doubt and self examination required, even with all of these ways that physics is going wrong and that people know that it's gone wrong in a million different places in a million different ways and in gigantic amounts. They still will will have these people will put on speeches about how perfect physics is and how we're just off by these tiny tiny amounts, even when that that is demonstrably and exactly specifically not correct period and they'll still you know talk about how it's just oh we just got the little bit the little tiny things to figure out and that's it it's not not a big problem we're all in agreement they have they have these they still have these kinds of of speeches of of unity that are just entirely bullshit and so yeah there's there is still a, a huge problem present but there is the shifting of the ground that is happening that is that you can see in science communication and in various uh in the numbers the sheer numbers of published articles of published material which are looking at alternative explanations for our experimental mm -hmm. record uh are that that has increased it, it's just it's exponential how much that that's increased in just the past decade so it's there's really there's a really a, a lot of positive um there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot of changes happening, and I, and I can t totally see the ground continuing to shift tremendously in the in the next decade. Yeah. So that's it for me. I'm done with my spiel. I think that's it for us then. All right. That's all the spiel we have. We spieled all we can spiel. We can't spiel no more. That was the last that we had to spiel. I'm feeling a little bit <laughs> Well, oh, and now I'm about to get back to, oh man, so uh, I'm, I'm just going to briefly mention for anybody who lets, is in the after show, etc. I'm working on some fiction uh, that is going to be so much fun. Uh, basically, uh, those of you who may have seen any of my other work is that I try to use edutainment because um, that's really the best way to, to educate people about things that are kind of difficult, like the history of physics and uh, and all of that, man, a lot of times getting people to, you know, I, I may be obsessively, you know, digging through all of the, the um, old English uh, and, and all of the various, um, you know, publications and reading them. And, and But, you know, even the people who are really into Maxwell's equations never read Maxwell's actual papers. Uh, and so there's just getting people interested in the history of physics and stuff like that's really difficult so i uh, so i rely on edutainment and uh and sci-fi is a really great way to go so i am about to send off some some interesting sci-fi stuff set in the 30s which is uh weimar republic germany just before world war ii 
uh, where you had the the Thule Society and the uh, uh, all of these various esoteric groups all you know uh, doing these weird things, and so I'm I'm just I'm going to tie it into um, uh, alternative views of physics. And of course, there's still going to be magic and you know and all that silly shit. But uh, but the the point is is to get across some of the picture of the history that led us to where we're at, some of the sociology, some of the real events and real. Because I'm, I'm I'm weaving together a tremendous amount of the real history of uh, you know Germany's uh, research into uh, various ideas and uh, that. Uh, that actually do kind of uh, you know lead to like 19th century physics and, uh, and you know I'm putting all that kind of together into a great a sci-fi setting for a role-playing game and uh, you know having talked to one of the developers of the role-playing game I'm uh, I think I have a good chance of them reading it and loving it and uh, it's just a real, real fun you know uh, fight the Nazis uh, well they've got they've already got a um, uh, a, a, a a setting that is basically kind of a uh, fight the you know you could be oh hell what's his name uh, Indiana Jones you know do the Indiana Jones thing and you know and that sort of and they have these special you know psionicists and you know fun stuff like that well you know I can weave together all these various concepts and uh, and use it to tell the the story of the the you know uh, Weimar Republic and all of their uh, uh, esoteric stuff as a way to kind of relate some of the history of physics. And so that's just a, a fun little um, uh, thing I wanted to, to share with you guys that once it's, uh, if, it, if, it, if it kicks off, you'll have heard about it here first, but uh, it's gonna be instead of, instead of just uh, Indiana Jones and you know, uh, you're also gonna have the Nazis of Indiana Jones, except the pre-Nazis, the, the, uh, the Thule Society, and uh, they're one of the central figures that I'm relying on. So. Uh, lots of fun to be had there, and uh, and uh, I hope that uh, some of you are interested in uh, in explorations of the imagination, like role playing games, and uh, we'll check that out if it ever does uh, come to fruition. I will keep uh, everyone posted because that's just a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Heck yeah! Oh no, I spieled again. Oh no, <laughs> I spieled it all over the place. I thought we didn't have any more spiel. But Can you clean up the spiel? We did. We had more spiel. <laughs> I will clean up the spiel. <laughs> Thank you. Is it a happier towel? I just got it. Okay. Yeah. Paper towels it's made of academic papers. Paper towels and some mops for the spiel. <laughs> for the spiel. Is that is we use academic paper towels? Definitely. <laughs> to clean up our spiel. <laughs> Okay, Helen. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not very funny, is it? <laughs> I have it's to excuse too it. Funny. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Never apologize for who you are, baby. <laughs> All right. Okay. We love you guys. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> We're going to go put, spill some more of this on our Patreon. I may or may not have an article we're going to be discussing. Uh, we may just read shit. I don't know. Mages? What? Yes. All right. We shall see you all Monday after next because we'll be coming at you every other Monday. So if you want to make that more frequently, um, there's a Patreon. Did you know? 
you'll end up hearing about like cool things about you know sci-fi and other fun weird shit on patreon <laughs> sure yeah i mean definitely uh <laughs> on discord anyway we're 57 percent on the way to more episodes and so um let's do that we'll do cherry stem every week and then i'll give you interviews and stuff so yeah yeah help me out help a brother out so the uncommon tier is what you might want if you want to hang out in the after show and here is our milestone, and you get access to 300 exclusive posts. And Nazi UFOs! Wait, no, never mind. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not. You will not find. You will not, 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 not find. Nazi UFOs in this Patreon. Yes. Now we're off to Discord to hang out with patrons. And we'll see you all Monday after next. And hopefully we'll have um, prepared a love and fear talk in time for Valentine's Day, since we've been wanting to do it for like two months. Probably a good time. It'll be fun. It'll be a fun time. Come hang out with us Monday after next. You should probably just follow the channel. So Are you recording? That way you get notified. YouTube records. I just got paranoid Wait, about absolutely there, everything. There, I was like, were we streaming? I know, me too. Were there comments? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, okay. I know, because that's how I have gone on for an hour or two. Was it two hours? It was like an hour and a half. An hour or two hours? Like an hour and a half. Oh, God. Okay, I'm going to say it's two hours, even though it was probably an hour or an hour and a half. Uh, but it was, I went on for two hours where it wasn't fucking recording one time. She was like, oh! Oh God! It's horrible. I'm so sorry. Still suffering. I, I wake up in the night, the sweat. Remembering that. <laughs> Remembering time. that time. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a lot of trauma. It was. Now let's go visit some more trauma on our patients. Discord. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you soon on this channel, and there'll be other things uh, on this channel other than cherry stems. I promise. I swear. Swear to God. Um, though we do have a second channel with Irony's Angels uh, behind the scenes stuff. So that's going to be on there. And uh, yep. But I'll still try to post Patreon stuff on here. So see you whenever I see you. Um, don't join the Discord. That's where we're at every day. Uh, if you're missing our faces, come fucking hang out and come become a patron because it's a fun time. Okay. See you later. Good night, everybody. Meow. Yeah. Kitty says. Good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>